0: And welcome to Pick 6 Movies, the podcast where every season we select a specific theme and then find six movies that all meet the specifications of said theme. But that's just the beginning. Next, we give you a little history on where, when, and why, and how the movie was made. But wait, there's more. After all that, you get a full review of the entire movie, open to close just to see if it's any good. Oh man, and you've arrived just in time to be part of a musical spectacular celebration as we conclude season 15's theme, A Flop is Born featuring half a dozen movies starring singers who should stick to their day jobs of, well, singing, instead of trying to prove that they can act naturally, which most of them can't. (laughs) How rude of me. i have not even introduced myself. I'm Chad Cooper. I'm one of the two hosts of this podcast. And in about 60 seconds, I'm going to be joined by my lifelong friend, Mr. Bo Ransdell, who's going to give you all kinds of interesting stuff to stick in your head about this episode's featured film. Don't worry, you'll like Bo. He's good people. He's like you and me. Now this is episode 6, our season finale, and have we got a treat for you. It is the big screen adaptation of the Beatles' musical masterpiece, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It stars not John, not Paul, not George, not Ringo, but it's got a and helping of the Bee Gees, and there's some Peter Frampton thrown in for taste, and look, I'm not going to lie to you, okay? Um... This movie is epically bad. I mean, it is really, really bad. When I finished watching it, I felt worse as a human being for having seen it. But that doesn't mean we can't have a little fun breaking this movie down one scene at a time, right? So let's say we get by with a little help from our friend, Mr. Bo Ransdell, as he introduces us to the cinematic nightmare that nobody wanted to see. It's Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Also, R.I.P. Jim Steinman, I don't care what my co-host says, you are a rock god among men. You'll be greatly missed. On with the show!
1: You can't have a season about music without talking about arguably the greatest rock and roll band of all time, and inarguably the most influential rock and roll band of the 20th century, The Beatles. Unfortunately for us, the Beatles didn't really make a bad movie. Sure, help has its issues, but it's fun and it's filled to the brim with terrific music. No, it seemed as if the Fab Four was going to escape. And then it hit us. While the Beatles themselves may not have been in a bad movie, their music has been in tons of bad movies. In particular, in 1978, a movie was released with the same title as the seminal work of the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, an album which released in 1967. But how did this happen? How did one of the greatest albums of the 60s become one of the worst movies of the 70s? To answer that, we have to look at the record itself. The Beatles were obviously huge, both culturally and in terms of record sales, but it's easy to forget that they were making music as the world was erupting in revolution. One of the things that makes the Beatles so significant is that the audience growing up with them saw them evolve. While teenagers could groove to Please Please Me and Love Me Do, a few years on, and that kind of simple harmony wasn't capturing the flavor of the world around people. Those simple lyrics and chords were being challenged by the Beatles themselves, who grew tired of their own success and the seeming prison of these songs, and they chose to break out. By 1966, the Beatles were frankly tired of being the Beatles. They'd been touring and recording and touring and recording, mobbed by fans and industry people alike. They'd been everywhere in the world, from Tokyo, where their lives were threatened and so they had to be taken to the venues by armored cars, to the Philippines, where they were almost beaten up by guards for not meeting the first lady of the time, Amelda Marcos. By the time the 1966 tour was done, Lennon said that they could send four wax dummies of the band out on stage, and the crowd couldn't have cared less. Paul McCartney said, We were not boys, we were men, and we thought of ourselves as artists rather than just performers. George Harrison even threatened to leave the band and was only talked down when manager Brian Epstein assured him that there would be no more worldwide tours. And so the Beatles did the unthinkable. They stopped. No more tours, they said, and for three months, the Beatles, John, Paul, George, and Ringo, went their separate ways. George was getting deeply into spirituality, so he ran off to study the sitar with Ravi Shankar and get in touch with his Buddhist beliefs. Paul went on vacation to Kenya with friends, while John tried his hand at acting and dove into the world of modern art. It's on those adventures where John would meet the love of his life, Yoko Ono. Ringo took the time to spend with his wife and kids. Ringo, always quietly the coolest Beatle. The band reunited in London after the break, and it's here that the greatest benefactor music has ever known stepped onto the scene. I mean, of course, hallucinogenic drugs. While John, Ringo, and George had all been enjoying the mind-altering effects of LSD for a while, Paul McCartney was the holdout. But in these days of changing cultural mores in the mid-60s, Paul dropped acid for the first time, and it blew his damn mind. After that, two things happened. Lennon and McCartney renewed their friendship as John Lennon played a kind of psychedelic Sherpa to Paul McCartney, who was charting some internal geography for the first time. The other thing was, their music took a decidedly trippy bent. Gone were the days of I Want to Hold Your Hand. Lennon had come back with a song called Strawberry Fields Forever, a song about his worry about the end of the Beatles, of his own changing roles in life, and of a place where, as a child, he could hide from such worries, a little garden called Strawberry Fields. It was inspired partially by sweet, sweet drugs, but also Lennon's ventures into experimental electronic music, a passion Paul McCartney joined him in. Separately, McCartney was also bristling at the weight of being the Beatles. On his way back from Kenya, he was wondering if they couldn't release an album under a different name, inspired by band names of the time like Big Brother and the Holding Company and Quicksilver Messenger Service. These baroque names would allow them to experiment with their music, a whole album of performance from a fictional band, offering cover to the Beatles to just get weird. And so they did. When they assembled again in November of 1966 to begin recording their new studio album, they reunited with new experiences to share. George was deeply invested in the sitar and brought an Indian flair to this new music. John had his own new songs, McCartney had a few of his own, and they all had LSD. While the Beatles were blazing trails with their previous effort, Rubber Soul, the music world had heard and answered. The Beach Boys released Pet Sounds, further pushing harmony and structure in music, while Frank Zappa and The Mothers of Invention dropped Freak Out, an audacious record that McCartney referenced multiple times in the recording of Sgt. Pepper's. And as the recording began, the idea was to assemble music from everywhere in the world under the banner of this fictitious band. No Beatles, only Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And they had no limit on their budget, no release schedule. They were the Beatles, after all. And Sgt. Pepper's was one big fuck around. They started with Strawberry Fields Forever, then Penny Lane, then When I'm 64. And then there was pressure from producer George Martin to get a single out. It had been a while since people heard a new Beatles song, after all. So they took two of the recorded songs and pushed them out the door in February of 1967 the A side of the record was Strawberry Fields Forever and the B side was Penny Lane. It was the first Beatles single not to skyrocket to number one and the British press went nuts wondering aloud in their editorials if the Beatles had finally run their course. Perhaps the world had just moved on. George Martin, their producer, regretted the release not because of the sales but because they had a standing rule that no songs released as singles would appear on Sgt. Pepper's. It was of a stripe, an all-or-nothing album, which Strawberry Fields Forever was going to kick off prior to it being released as a single. That was going to be the first song on Sgt. Pepper's. And the recording of the album itself is just the stuff of legend. The Beatles wanted to exorcise the bland decorations of the EMI studio, so they set up special lighting to make the place more groovy. And they had decorations brought in. Mick Jagger and Donovan were among just some of the musicians who would just drop in on these recording sessions, hang out, do some drugs, and take off again. It was a big musical clubhouse for the biggest forces in modern music at the time. And did I mention the drugs already? Because there were lots of those too. And they had the best studio musicians, big trumpet arrangements, choirs. Anything they dreamed up, they could do. And so, they went about the business of reinventing studio production for Sgt. Peppers. At the time, the only commercial recorder was a four-track, meaning you could mix together four inputs. In most cases, that meant a guitar, a bass, vocal tracks, some drums, bada bing, bada boom, you got yourself a record. But what the Beatles did was mix those four into one and then use this new master to lay down more tracks. Repeat as needed, until you have, well, Sgt. Peppers. They also crafted a way to split tracks on the tape, a technique way above my ability to explain it to you, but immensely important as an innovation in music production. What they liked from other records, they took. What didn't exist, they invented. And it was all driven by Paul McCartney. John Lennon was a creative force, no doubt about that, and so were George and Ringo. But it was Paul McCartney who was pushing them hard to do something special, to do something no one had ever heard before. You can see here the roots of the band split, as the ever-disciplined Paul McCartney wrangled the other members into realizing this vision he had in his head. When it was all done, the record would cost about half a million dollars in today's money, and also cost about 700 hours of studio time. While the world waited... The Beatles pressed a demo and took it to Mama Cass's house. At 6 a.m. for the first time, Sgt. Peppers was played from the home of Mama Cass. Her windows open, the strains of Sgt. Peppers drifting out to the neighbors, who knew right away they were listening to songs from the Beatles that no one had ever heard before. While the Beatles were away recording, the press had amped up its stories about how the Beatles were set for obscurity. Who needed a year and a half to record a bunch of songs, they asked. And then there was, you know, the rest of the world. The beginnings of Vietnam, the assassination of John Kennedy, the assassination of Malcolm X, the rise of the civil rights movement, the rise of the women's rights movement, the rise of the gay rights movement. Suddenly, the world was in turmoil. And a generation of kids, what we now know as the baby boomers, were trying to make a difference. They were turning on and tuning in. They were organizing and fighting for human rights. The kids who were 16 when the Beatles hit American Airwaves were adults now, and some of them were being drafted while others burned their draft cards. And this all culminated in the Summer of Love. Now, how much Sgt. Peppers is a symptom or a cause of the Summer of Love can be endlessly debated, but regardless of causality, it was undeniably the anthem for that summer. For years, San Francisco had been a beacon for the weirdos of the United States, and I mean that with the utmost love. Hippies, yippies, burnouts, druggies, flower children, poets, musicians, performance artists, puppeteers, and everyone who wanted to express themselves or explore themselves. They all headed to San Francisco. Jack Kurek was writing some of his best work there, and the Haight-Ashbury district drew 10,000 people in 1967 a gathering of peaceful revolutionaries and whacked-out ideologues, all gathered in the belief that maybe tomorrow could be better than today. And in May of 1967, the song, San Francisco, Be Sure to Wear Flowers in Your Hair was released, popularizing this migration of philosophers and nutjobs to the West Coast. But the Summer of Love wasn't just in San Francisco, that was the epicenter but the ripples were affecting every part of life in this country. For a moment, in 1967, it felt like there was a tipping point that maybe the forces of peace and love and, yes, dope, were going to rule the day. And it's in this environment that Sgt. Pepper's was released. June 2, 1967, here in these United States, Sgt. Pepper's drops. And the Beatles knew they had something special here. McCartney said on hearing news in the press that the Beatles were done. Said, I remember the great glee seen in one of the papers how the Beatles have dried up, and I was sitting rubbing my hands saying, You just wait. And then it came out, and it's difficult to convey how landmark this release was. A sociologist named Langdon Winner said of the event, The closest Western civilization has come to unity since the Congress of Vienna in 1815 was the week the Sgt. Pepper album was released. In every city in Europe and America, the radio stations played it, and everyone listened. For a brief while, the irreparable fragmented consciousness of the West was unified, at least in the minds of the young. Others referred to it as a cultural contact high, that even if you had no background in psychedelia, the record could induce an almost drug-like effect, and it was cross-generational. Everyone loved Sgt. Peppers, and everyone was listening to it. There were no singles off the album, so radio stations just played the whole thing. People recalled hearing strains of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, or When I'm 64, drifting from every window as they passed homes and apartment buildings. It was everywhere, and it was revered as a masterpiece, even in the moment. It was, to paraphrase Hunter S. Thompson, the high watermark of the hippie movement, when the waves crashed against the firmament and began to recede. It would mark the last truly harmonious collaboration of the Beatles as musicians too, a landmark in every way. And so how, and more importantly why, does one attempt to build a movie around one of the greatest records of all time? The why is easy. Money. See, a guy named Robert Stigwood had purchased the rights to 29 Beatles songs, and he needed something to do with them. Stigwood was the founder of RSO Records, and RSO was one of the forces behind Saturday Night Fever. RSO also released the soundtrack to the hit musical Grease, and it was flush with cash. And Stigwood didn't want to be sitting around on all these Beatles songs that he had, so he took these songs to a music critic he liked from the New York Times, a guy named Henry Edwards. And he said, I want a script for a musical production. Well, now, Edwards had never written a script before, but he spread the songs out on the floor of his apartment, and he tried to weave them together into some kind of magical story, which resulted in a live stage show called *Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band on the Road an off-Broadway musical that even John Lennon attended. It didn't necessarily break records, but it did well enough to encourage Stigwood to mount a film production of this musical. Stigwood had a relationship with the Bee Gees prior to the movie, who would go on to play Mark, Dave, and Bob Henderson. The Bee Gees are an amazing story unto themselves. Before they enter this story, They had released records, toured, gotten in a public spat with Brother Robin, broken up, reformed, and released a new record, and that's before they ever tried their hand at disco. In fact, it was Robert Stigwood himself who told the Gibbs boys that they should give up all their ballad singing for some up-tempo dance music. And they did. In 1975, the Bee Gees released Main Course, a record that would feature the disco classic jive Talkin'" and prominently feature barry gibbs singing in a falsetto which he rarely used previously and would become a hallmark of the group that record was a big big hit and it provided the launching pad for the bg's to become an international phenomenon but sadly disco was dying when the bg's released the soundtrack to saturday night fever on rso records you may recall it was not only a massive hit it put disco as a musical movement on life support for a couple of more years. Unfortunately, the Bee Gees were cornering a shrinking market, and if there's anything other people's money has taught us, it's that you don't want to be the band making the best goddamn buggy whips you ever saw. Interestingly, the Bee Gees had also recorded a few Beatles songs in their rise to fame. A documentary came out called All This and World War II, which featured the Bee Gees doing covers of Golden Slumbers slash Carry That Weight, She Came In Through the Bathroom Window, and Sun King, some Abbey Road tracks that would find their way onto the Sgt. Pepper soundtrack too. And so with the Bee Gees in place, Peter Frampton gets the nod to play Billy Shears, the film's protagonist. Frampton is also an interesting musical figure who seemed to have been cursed to only flirt with greatness for much of his early life. Like he went to school with David Bowie, and the two of them had competing bands at the school talent show. When Frampton started a band called The Preachers, it was Rolling Stone's Bill Wyman who produced and managed them. His big early success came with a British band called Humble Pie, which was more influential than popular, but it gave Frampton the green light to work with the likes of Harry Nielsen and Ringo Starr and Billy Preston. And let's take a quick side trip into the life of Billy Preston, who was called the Fifth Beatle at times because he was the only other musician credited with the Fab Four. He ran into the Beatles when he was 16 years old in 1962, when Billy Preston was touring with Little Richard. Let me repeat that. Billy Preston was touring with Little Richard in 1962 at the age of 16. Anyway, he crossed paths again when the band recorded Let It Be, And he was so significant in the production of that record, John Lennon proposed making him an official Beatle. And it was Paul McCartney that kind of shot the idea down, not because he had anything against Billy Preston. He said it was hard enough to get the four of them to agree on anything, much less five. Wait a second, where were we? Oh yeah, Peter Frampton. So Peter Frampton releases some solo records, one of which went gold, and he tours like a beast. But he doesn't really get anywhere and then he releases Frampton Comes Alive in 1976, which featured hits like Baby I Love Your Way, Show Me The Way, Do You Know The Way To San Jose? Wait, scratch that last one. It also featured an epic finale, a barn burner called Do You Feel Like We Do, which prominently featured a talk box, a gadget Peter Frampton was introduced to by Nashville engineer Peter Drake. Unlike his previous efforts, Frampton Comes Alive was released in February of 1976 and would spend the next 97 weeks on the charts, ten of them at number one. One historian said every girl was in love with Peter Frampton in 1976, and every older brother wanted to be Peter Frampton in 1976. And so Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band captured the hottest acts of the moment. It was a no-brainer to make Frampton the face of what everyone expected to be the gone-with-the-wind of modern movie musicals, which is exactly what Universal expected. Except that it wasn't, and we're going to get to all that in a moment when Chad gets here, but Sgt. Pepper's* got shredded by critics when it came out, despite doing moderate business at the box office. It was accused of being nonsensical, which it is, and scattered, also which it is, my absolute favorite review came from the amazing Janet Maslin of the New York Times, who said, quote, Conceived in a spirit of merriment, watching it feels like playing shuffleboard at the absolute insistence of a bossy shipboard social director. When whimsy gets to be this overbearing, it simply isn't whimsy anymore. Chad and I will have much more to add, of course, but you get the idea. Everybody knew this was a stinker. But the Beatles didn't seem all that upset about it. George Harrison said that he thought the movie wasn't good, but moreover did a disservice to the Bee Gees and Frampton, whose careers were hurt by a combination of falling record sales just before the release of Sgt. Pepper's, and then the death blow that was this production. Brampton was still winning Grammys as of 2007, and the Bee Gees had reunions and resurgences as time has gone on, but nowhere near the pre-Peppers level of success that they both enjoyed. And despite assembling an in-credit sequence that features a genuine snapshot of relevant figures of the 1970s and beyond, the movie failed to leave even a fraction of the impact left by the album that preceded it. As George Harrison himself went on to say, "quote, It's just like the Beatles trying to do the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones can do it better." But enough of the hows and whys. Let's get to some what the hells with Chad, ladies and gentlemen, Billies and Strawberries. It's 1978's *Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band*. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a very special episode of Pick 6 Movies. It is our finale to uh, to this season A Flop is Born, featuring uh, music acts and musicians and singers being thrust into movies, and sometimes maybe that's not such a good idea. That's kind of the idea of the season. And with me as ever to discuss this particular example, the, the Billy Shears. with a little help from this friend how about that for a segue uh here's chad cooper thanks for watching this movie i felt like i was being introduced as a special guest host well yeah i like to build it up i mean this is a finale i feel there's a certain excitement there's an energy in the room i love the first episodes because it's like you're cracking the seal it's like when you pop the tab on a beer and Mm -hmm. you're like oh that sounds delicious
0: yeah and this is the warm backwash at the bottom where you're just like oh i'll finish it off because i'm an alcoholic Uh, no no no
1: no this isn't the uh the spalding cigarette butt drink (laughs) this is a celebration
0: Of all the movies we watched this season, where we saw singers appearing in movies, you know, because they wanted to be actors, they all had speaking roles. But this movie does not have any speaking roles by singers who want to be actors. But they do emote. So it Eh. just barely comes in under the guidelines of singers who want to be
1: actors i'll I'll say this for the movie it has the most singers of any movie that we've discussed this season you can't swing a cat in this movie without hitting somebody that had a gold record
0: yeah of all of our movies i feel like we've progressively tiptoed closer and closer until we cross the line of being in an actual musical And, Bo, this movie is, in my opinion, a dream. And Uh what I mean by that is that it is like watching a dream where familiar things happen in the most unexpected and bizarre ways. If my dead mother had shown up to tap dance
1: with a tiger, I wouldn't have been surprised. It's a real something. I was saying this before we started recording, that I saw this movie a lot when I was a kid. I've seen
0: this movie twice. (laughs) wants to to get through it and wants to do these notes Uh and i will never see it again
1: that's crazy talk i saw this movie not only a bunch when i was a kid when i you know we we did this for the show i watched it on blu-ray for the first time Why would you do that to yourself? I don't think I'd ever seen it outside the four three format. And so you
0: were saying after you haven't seen it since you were at that boys' farm where they forced you to watch it over and over again as punishment.
1: Yeah, I was one of the kids in Father Son's room, you know. We hate love. (laughs) that certainly explains a lot yeah well when i saw it again it really was crazy because it was like seeing it for the first time because i'd never seen it in this kind of fidelity but Uh also it was incredibly familiar because i knew every moment of this movie but i had forgotten it until it was kind of happening you know that that feeling where you're like oh right the fucking hot air balloon that is their mode of transportation in this movie that's crazy (laughs)
0: it was done. we was so young
1: it's a real treasure of a movie it's of course sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band yeah uh, if you've
0: never seen it don't don't ever ever watch absolutely should
1: i've got it on blu-ray let me know i will send you my copy
0: my 13 year old son came downstairs as my wife and i finished this on my first pass and the words out of his mouth were what in the hell is this <laughs>
1: And I high-fived him, and I said, good for you. First of all, that kind of language should not be allowed.
0: Well, he sent me to my room. Get in there. Tomorrow when you come out, you're going to watch The Godfather. You're putting too much garbage into your head, Dad. Garbage in, garbage out.
1: You are going to watch The Conversation <laughs> twice in a row just to flush <laughs> this out of your head. Let's do this.
0: Yeah. The quicker we start, the quicker we're
1: done. So we open on the classic universal black and white logo. Old-timey. Yeah.
0: Like, 40s era
1: and and you're hearing kind of old-timey music uh, start to play and there are explosions
0: going, <laughs> and
1: going off around the earth as it spins
0: colored fireworks are exploding which
1: yeah not the weirdest thing we're going to see in this movie but oh. okay no, there is one moment where about eight weird things happen over the course of like 13 seconds and we'll get to it does anything normal happen in this movie mm. I, I, dougie likes money so we open on the town of fleu de coupe france in right there bro, right there you know we got a little
0: joke of a city name the name is underlined for emphasis and it's not even a joke. It's not even a pun. It's just like a forced exchange of a known idiom as a city name.
1: And we get the haunting and soothing strains of George Burns narrating this movie. Oh, my God. As he says, the war to end all wars didn't end soon enough. And it turns out, Chad. Oh, yes. Go on, please. That World War I, which you may recall, bit of a tiff. Yeah. Kind of a mess.
0: It was a real pickle, Bo. It was the war to end all wars.
1: Right, but it didn't end soon enough, according to George Burns. So what we did is we took this jackass who played a cornet, Sergeant Pepper his name was, and we sent him and his Lonely Hearts Club band over to France.
0: Sure, we tried out other alternatives ahead of that. Tanks, guns, mustard gas laced with
1: ox urine, but none of them worked. It was only the melodic tunes of Sergeant Pepper and his Lonely Hot Club's band. And so down the avenue, in the middle of this war, comes Sergeant yes. Pepper and his band playing a really brassy version of the title song, "Sergeant Pepper's." You know, bum 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 bum.
0: But what song isn't better when it's played by a marching
1: band? Well, every song, really, <laughs> except for anything in the movie Drumline. I allow you that. Instead of gunning down these four idiots, both the Axis and the Allies, they just hop up and start marching behind them, kind of like a bunch of kids and a Pied Piper. The Germans are all high and mighty about it. They're like, was is this us? We broke them. Yeah, yeah, the Cavern Club. That was us, man. Over in Germany, we found the Beatles. Don't go telling us about Sergeant Pepper. We were dead ground zero, man.
0: George Birds goes on to say for music
1: above and beyond
0: the call of duty. Sergeant Pepper was awarded the Golden Eagle Award.
1: It's something that I just
0: made up that ain't even a real thing. Then Sergeant Pepper came back to Heartland, which is nestled in a quiet corner of the MGM Studios backlot in Culver City. The
1: big thing, this is the whole theme of the movie, Chad, is he says The thing that everyone loved about Sergeant Pepper was he never changed from the small town boy he always was.
0: We was real proud of him. He was our most famous sergeant. We drew a big
1: parade as he played his
0: music, the world danced. Then we Mm -hmm. get this time lapse of people dancing to different instrumental interpretation of the song Sergeant Pepper's on the Heart Club Band. It's in the 20s and there's flappers. Then there's a jug
1: band version of it. That's my favorite. (laughs) Hoo, hoo, hoo. Oh, grab the cat
0: <laughs>
1: Idiots! It was the depression, Chad. There's a cow that has a cowboy hat on <laughs> watching this bad play, and it's like this is a depression. Where did the cow get this hat? Where did he get the money for it?
0: Then we get a big band version playing during this Gatsby era of economic recovery and women in elegant gowns and long white elbow length gloves or dancing with men in tuxedos out in the grass. And then finally, we get a boogie woogie bugle boy version that we didn't know we didn't need of Mm. the Sergeant Pepper's theme. As we enter into the theater of war once again, Bo, as World War II happens upon us.
1: And one presumes that they ended up solving world war ii partially with sergeant peppers but also with a couple of atomic bombs but but sergeant pepper helped he helped and throughout all of these versions of sergeant pepper we see the four young
0: men of the band continually have more and more theatrical white hairspray put on their heads to make them look like old men even though they're all like 25
1: right they're all the narrator from our town in a high school production.
0: Absolutely. George Burns goes on to say For 50 years, people's feet danced to the beat of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. And to honor someone who made so many people happy, Heartland decided to erect a Sergeant Pepper's weather vane on top of our city hall. It would always point the way to happiness. And Sergeant Pepper assured us he would play one more tune. <laughs> the big day comes,
1: Chad. Oh, yes. And. <laughs> Mr. Kite, a.k.a. George Burns, comes out of the city hall and like look at these old sons of bitches. One more <laughs> song. Let's hear it, Sergeant Pepper. And the band starts playing.
0: But they're now old, old men. They're all like 90 years old with beards down to their balls.
1: Yeah. And Sergeant Pepper, even he like gives his little coronet a wave to the crowd. And then he starts playing. <laughs> Funk fucking dies chad sergeant pepper dies in the first five minutes of this movie then the movie immediately cuts back to
0: george burns present day Uh uh-huh and he says oh well (laughs) it's a real
1: shit happens (laughs) kind of moment it's one of my favorite things oh well what are you gonna do people die sunrise sunset he lived a good life he
0: ended a war He had sex with lots of whores. He did opium. We
1: invented a whole award for him. So, Sergeant Pepper decides he's going to leave his instruments to Heartland, which can make dreams come true, maybe. As long as they stay in Heartland, humanity will be fine. Because they're magic or something, I guess.
0: In George Burns' office inside City Hall, there are these mannequin replicas. They're like this Madame Trousseau-esque life-size versions of the Sergeant Pepper's band. But it, they're all old men. They're not like the young versions right?
1: Didn't capture them in their prime. Captured them right before they died.
0: Hell, when they put Elvis on a stamp, they asked, do you want young Elvis or old fat Elvis? And people were like, we want young Elvis. We don't want old Sergeant Pepper. Give us the young one and dust his hair a little bit with some of that Christmas snow. We'll be good. Give me the World War
1: II and I'll be fine. Let's compromise at World War II.
0: All of this intro feels like the tutorial of an old school Nintendo RPG, you know? It's like, this is the band. Here are the four instruments. They have special powers. Here's how you jump and talk to townsfolk. Oh no, the instruments have been scattered to the four corners of the world. You must go and get them back. And you're like, Jesus Christ, am I going to suffer through 10 hours of this synthesized one note cover of Sergeant Pappers? I don't think so. Trash can.
1: Not since E.T. the video game has a game been so reviled. This is very video gamey, though. There are many bosses and a final boss and the whole thing. It's a real something. So after George Burns tells everybody we got all these instruments and then he left this award, the Golden Eagle, that we made up to his grandson, Billy, because why not? He's the new Sergeant Pepper, I guess. This made his stepbrother, Dougie Shears,
0: very jealous. And you get these two kids, and Billy gets the award, and then Dougie sticks out his tongue as Billy, and I'm like, wait, they're stepbrothers? This is a blended family?
1: There's a lot of backstory here that if we wanted to apply some patented Pixix movies backstory and fill in the blanks plot, we absolutely could. I firmly believe that Dougie was found on a doorstep. Because he is the product of a woman and a goat.
0: The dad is played by Max Showalter, who one year later would appear in the Dudley Moore Boderick Pervertathon 10, as discussed in season six, episode two of Pick Six Movies, which featured a half dozen films that were all about people having sex. So Mm -hmm. if you want to go back
1: and listen to that,
0: it's better than this
1: quality, quality episode. Anyway, (laughs) after introducing Dougie, we also learn. That this little kid, for some reason, had to make a new Lonely Hearts Club band or else the world was going to burn to a cinder. And so we get introduced. Is it Bob? It don't matter. It's the Bee Gees. No, it's Mark, Dave, Bob Henderson, a.k.a. the Bee Gees. Band was going to be
0: made up with his three best friends, the
1: Bee Gees, and
0: Billy Shears decided to change his name to Peter Frampton. And Dougie, the stepbrother, who's a real asshole because his dad was a goat, that's what I heard, he decided he would be the business manager.
1: And he was going to introduce the band in real Dougie fashion, like an asshole.
0: Dougie is played by Paul Nichols, who famously appeared in the movie adaptation of The Who's Rock Opera Tommy in 75. But for the purposes of this discussion, he's just going to be Dougie. And when all that narration and backstory is over, this is where Dougie just really jumps in and shows how shittily one could cover Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, um, surpassing even the marching band and the boogie-woogie version. I just want to say, All of the Beatles songs in this movie, except for two, they're total trash, Bo.
1: I'm trying to think if there's an if there's more than two because there are two good ones.
0: No, there's two. there are only two Beatles covers in this and the rest is just absolute trash. Yeah it's like an adult version of Kids bop. It's worse than karaoke because even in karaoke they somewhat try to get the music like what you've heard before. It's not these misguided interpretations of songs that clearly shouldn't be reimagined. You know, the same way you should never do a remake of Casablanca or my son's favorite movie, The Godfather.
1: You know who can fuck around with Sgt. Peppers? The Beatles. Everybody else, make it sound like the record. (laughs) Like, the people who invented it, they can tinker. Like, Steam can do a stripped-down version of Demolition Man.
0: Paul McCartney goes on MTV's Unplugged and covers the whole damn album, even if it's shitty. He's the only one who has
1: the right to do it. Right. I'll tell you what. I'll even allow you Ringo doing a whole concept album where it's an instrumental version, drums only as Sgt. Pepper's. Fine. Yeah, you can keep that.
0: That's like those assholes that film a feature film on their iPhone. Cute asshole like steven soderbergh <laughs>
1: yeah, just stop it make a real movie shithead <laughs> dougie sings the, the front end of sergeant peppers and one of the big problems with this movie is that is
0: that he's dressed like gallagher before he starts smashing <laughs> watermelons
1: like i said one of the problems there are a number <laughs> that being one of them it's that beatles lyrics especially of this time are more evocative than literal And so this movie is trying to use Beatles lyrics to kind of push the narrative you can get close it's like that dark side of the moon bullshit with uh, the wizard of oz where uh-huh. it's like oh yeah if you start sergeant peppers right here and have dougie introduce the band and then we see the bgs on this gazebo who are playing sergeant peppers like he kind of hands it off to them they do the, and now let me introduce to you the one and only billy shears cut to peter frampton And that is the moment that Dark Side of the Moon and Wizard of Oz diverge. For the rest of the movie, they're dropping in Beatles songs that don't mean nothing.
0: We got a lot to unpack
1: here. Yes, please. All right.
0: This new version of Sgt. Pepper's with Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees, if Mm -hmm. if you don't know who these people are, Which I would hope you don't. I would like to describe it. I want you to think about your dad. Now I want you to imagine your dad's four creepy friends who dress about two decades below their current age. And they're all hiding their balding heads by excessively growing long hair in certain places to compensate for the places
1: that they can't.
0: But oh, P.S. All of their jeans are so tight, you can always see the outline of their dicks in their pants.
1: As was the fashion at the time.
0: For some people, I don't think everybody was walking around with their cock out.
1: Are you suggesting people did not rock out in the 70s?
0: I'm saying that not everyone walked around with a giant outline of their cock in their pants. In this movie though, it's standard issue cod pieces for everyone. Even Donald Pleasants is showing
1: a little crown.
0: The, everybody's just like, look at my dick. As they go to introduce Billy Shears, the camera pans over and we see two women kissing passionately. They're both wearing high-heeled boots and they have shoulder-length hair. They're wearing pink shirts. They have very slight frames and i was like wow how progressive for this movie that they're introducing a lesbian couple so openly and then as they turn around you're like oh wow that one lesbian in the all white overalls who's more slight than the other lesbian on the left is actually peter frampton
1: well you can tell because his name is written on the overalls on his right breast the dead
0: giveaway for me was the giant boner in his pants
1: like i I was telling you this pair of overalls not doing favors to anybody it's aesthetically displeasing it's too white the 70s are just all over this movie it it is writ large of course
0: i was really surprised that this movie came out before pink floyd the wall because it felt like It was standing on its shoulders, but it was out a few years before that movie hit theaters.
1: Yeah, and had a real director and music.
0: And people who were like, hey, don't fucking make
1: garbage like that. Let's do something really good. What if the movie actually meant something? I will say that I like, separately, the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton. I can find things in both catalogs I like just fine. I think Peter Frampton is an admirable figure in rock and roll, has kind of been significant behind the scenes for a long, long time. And How Deep Is Your Love Fucking Rules, that's a great song. I
0: met Peter Frampton one time.
1: Have we talked about that before? We have. You said he seemed nice.
0: Yeah, he was dressed up like Santa Claus at a child's toy adoption location at a restaurant where I was working. I wish I'd seen this before I met him. Then I would have just looked down my nose at him and said, how dare you, sir?
1: This is how I feel. You don't have to ask, Peter Frampton. he kisses strawberry fields because they're a couple he runs to the stage starts singing
0: oh yeah the lesbian he was kissing is strawberry fields and she's called
1: that because of the beatles song though right because she has to sing a song later that is wildly inappropriate jesus christ but as he's singing this we see his stepbrother dougie trying to make a little time with strawberry fields but she ain't having it chad
0: it's because of that bowler hat and the fact that he's toting around a sledge omatic.
1: Dougie is the guy with the cocaine. Billy is the guy who is the talent. Right, you know. I get that. So he
0: finishes singing Get By With A Little Help From My Friends that goes on way too long, as does every
1: song in this movie. They, every song is played to completion, yes.
0: Then Patrick Cranshaw, that old man from Young Frankenstein who got kneed in the balls during the medical presentation to great comedic effect. Well, he shows up on a bicycle dressed as a Western Union telegram messenger with a message for the boys in the band. and Ambo, this telegram is oversized, the way that checks to charitable organizations are oversized for public presentations. Presentation. It's like the size of a beach towel.
1: Yeah, it's like they won this telegram on a game show.
0: George Burns narrates, The telegram was for B.D. Hoffler, the president of Big Deal Records, the world's largest, most successful record company. And he wanted to sign the boys to a record deal. And more than likely, it was going to involve questionably consensual sex.
1: The whole setup for this is that B.D. Records, or B.D. himself, has heard of them, but never heard a song by them. So, the telegram is, make a demo, send it to me, and if I like it, then I'll sign you.
0: Okay. I didn't catch that watching it twice, but sure.
1: That's why you have me here, Chad. I'm practically mm-hmm. a, an historian on this film.
0: They jump in this Ford pickup truck with Peter Frampton and Barry Gibb hanging off the running boards like garbage men <laughs> as they zip off to make their demo, according to you.
1: And George Birds meanwhile, is like, yeah,
0: big stars from
1: Hotland. Who would a thunk it?
0: Who in Heartland would be more deserving than these four boys?
1: Let me think for a
0: moment here
1: about yours truly? The guy what has been handling everything for years. For decades. I seen the Sergeant Peppers come and I seen him go. You know who's left standing? Kite is left standing. George
0: Burns turns around and looks over at the gazebo in the town square. And we get a fantasy sequence where he is looking at himself. But the version of him on the gazebo, he's wearing tight blue jeans. And I think you can see his cock, but I think he's old, so it's not very big. He's wearing a wide collared salmon shirt. He's wearing a denim vest and he is holding an electric guitar in front of the townsfolk singing a George Burns cover of I'm Fixing a Hole. Yeah. Dude, that's the kind of thing your brain shows you while you're passed out after finishing off a plate of bad clams and well vodka screwdrivers.
1: This vision of him as kind of a hippie only lasts for a second. And then he's like, nah, 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 that never worked." And so, yeah, they cut back to present, and it's just him finishing out the song. With
0: a couple of small girls who are licking a lollipop. I was just glad it wasn't a popsicle.
1: And it's just regular-ass old George Burns singing and dancing with a couple of kids. And uh, that song wraps up.
0: Well, this is the kind of thing that happens that solicits a silver alert when some old bastard wanders away from his assisted living home.
1: One of those iPhone alerts that pops up where they're like, hey, if you see an old guy in glasses singing fixing a hole, (laughs) we're looking for him. We want to get to him before the alligators do.
0: His cover feels a lot like those William Shatner covers, you know? It's not as yeah. completely off the mark as Rocket Man, but having George Burns sing a Beatles song is pretty damn
1: close. Speaking of worst interpretations, enter the boys recording their demo mm, at a barn. Better which seems less than ideal as a place to record your demo.
0: Weird Al Yankovic did his demo of Another One Rides the Bus in a Bathroom.
1: Better acoustics than a farm and less
0: fucking cows. (laughs) And no hats, if I remember correctly, this go round.
1: While they're playing... We are introduced to Mean Mr. Mustard, the villain of our film.
0: The first of 12 villains of our film, though.
1: He's the main mini-boss, and he is described in a title card as villain, comma, a demented, comma, ex-real estate agent, which has too many commas by what, if you ask me, Chad. Yeah. So he's driving down the road in this converted school bus that he uses for his lair. And as he's rolling in the town, you see the weather vane that is pointing towards happiness start to turn away. And George Burns is at his desk and, like, senses a disturbance in the force Mm -hmm. where he's like, wait a second. He's sitting there reading vintage 70s porno. If it's in the 70s, it's not vintage. It was from the 50s. Oh, It was a lot of thighs and ankles. Now that is just classic erotica, Chad. It's weird how time does that to things. Yeah, I like this. This is my favorite one. Because,
0: you know, in the back, there's two pictures of a couple of colored girls. Oh, my God. And then, after he gets a bad feeling of mojo, he walks over and picks up a billy club that's sitting by his chair in the office. I remember the race riots of 68 in Hotland. They're not going to take me again this time. What do you mean by them, old man? You know what I mean. I don't think I do. I'm gonna crack your fucking skull open. Say goodnight, Gracie, you piece of shit.
1: (laughs) So, back at the van, Mr. Mustard is using some magic periscope to look at the movie happening elsewhere, and he just starts leering at Strawberry Fields.
0: Yeah, he's like some Tex Avery cartoon wolf. He's like licking his chops and putting his hands in his pockets.
1: But then FVB, our real villain, interrupts, which is just computer graphics appearing on the screen where they're like, hey dickhead keep your mind on the job you're here for a reason and that reason is to take over heartland
0: jumped ahead of my notes because when the computer turns on he walks over and sits down and starts pressing all these oversized colored square buttons and The monitor comes on and it's flanked on the left and the right by two female sex bots Uh in head-to-toe S&M dominatrix black leather gimp outfits with shoddy wigs slapped on top, a blonde on the left, and a pink-haired robot on the right. Mr. Bo Ransdell, a discuss.
1: Yes, it is uh, one of the more erotic moments in the movie, to be sure. And he actually has to punch in... Listen to this, Chad, this middle manager piece of shit, Chad. Mr. Mustard is... Just, he's a regional manager at best. And he starts punching into the keyboard attached to one of these sex bot's boobs. They're
0: like if Darth Vader had giant breasts. And he's punching away on all of those doodad
1: and doohickeys on the chest plate. And so Mr. Mustard asks his boss why fvb our villain is like listen yours is not to wonder why and then we get the mantra of fvb which is we hate love we hate joy we love money so this
0: movie's message is one of humanitarianism over capitalism
1: i I, perhaps yeah
0: i like the way the robot talks like a 70s robot (laughs) we hate love we hate we
1: love money actually the a little bit later we get to hear him sing which is just an affront to god and man
0: i like when mr mustard and the two female leather sex bots they raise up their hands and they make a w which i'm like why are they doing that in this film in the movie clueless when you made a w that meant whatever i don't know what it
1: means here i don't know it's it's just what fvb loyalists do this yeah. uh, this terrorist organization, FVB, that is building an army. Let's go
0: beat another bad guy. Eh,
1: kind of a bad guy. He's just a guy. He's capitalist. a bad dude. Uh, BD Records, we meet BD himself, who is uh, Donald Pleasant's in, in A Hairpiece. Yeah, remember the guy who
0: hunted Michael Myers yeah. in them first two Halloween movies? Yeah, that Donald Pleasant. Lonnie, get your ass away from there. Come over here and look at my dick outline in my tight pants. Hey, Lonnie, I've got a band you should listen to. Hey, Lonnie, put your hand in my pocket. I've got a surprise. I'll give you a hint. It's my erect penis.
1: I spent five years listening to Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band and another ten trying to make sure that no one would ever hear them. (laughs) I looked into his eyes. There was nothing there, no emotion. Blank eyes, the devil's eyes. So BD has a picture, the headshots of the band, and... He pulls out this giant-ass file cabinet and drops their picture in a, a file labeled... Bald men. No, superstars. And meanwhile, we are also introduced to Lucy and the Diamonds. Which are kind of the bad girl band.
0: Yeah, but she's also ever-present. A little later, Lucy is both driving a limousine and riding a motorcycle at the same time.
1: Dude, I think that's two different
0: people. No,
1: it's not. Are you
0: sure? We'll get to it. Okay. I was hoping you had an answer.
1: I think it's two different people. I think there's the driver and then there's Lucy. Lucy. Dougie ends up with the driver. Is that Lucy? I don't think so. Yes, Yes. All right. Well, we'll, all of this will not make sense later, dear listeners.
0: That's what I'm shocked about that. You're like,
1: wait a minute. That
0: doesn't make any sense (laughs) in a movie that is like being inside Herman's head. And that was
1: a crazy place, Bo. It was. Oh, there were wacky characters everywhere you turned. While Lucy keeps a, a picture for herself, she's like, I better hang on to this. Mm-hmm. And Donald Pleasance then dances uncomfortably with Lucy because he's like a mid-50s British guy. Yeah.
0: It's like any guy over 50 at a wedding just who had two glasses of champagne. Just yep. He's cutting loose
1: and yep. you're, just, you're embarrassed for him. Really feeling it, starting to feel like, I'm really glad I came to this wedding after all. Thank and he might be able to hook up with a 19 year old bridesmaid giving him the wink hey honey what's your major you major are you in graduate school i'm looking for a greener banana keep on moving
0: you're gross are you talking about the banana in your pants i can see your
1: dick in this scenario baby you are the banana your dick is leaking, old man. It does that. That is urine. Don't worry about it.
0: Well, what the hell did you think it was? Semen?
1: Could have been a little pre. Barbara, you've got to get your uncle under control.
0: Barbara, I am not going. They're about to throw the garter. I'm going to catch it.
1: You know I'm going to meet my online girlfriend next weekend.
0: I'm going to be the next one here getting married. And I'm going to be the first one here getting divorced. I hate you, Barbara. So
1: immediately after the band finishes recording their demo, the the guy who got kicked in the balls in Young Frankenstein rose up like Dom DeLuise in the Muppet movie, (laughs) Yes, hands him another telegram, and George Burns once more narrates and says, BD loves your music. BD loves you. Expect to see you in Hollywood tomorrow. BD. And everyone is happy. Except for Strawberry Fields, who knows that her meal ticket is about to leave Heartland and go to L.A. without her. Uh-huh. And is like, oh, Billy, you and I need to spend some quality time before you hit the road.
0: And by quality time, I mean we should have a roll in the hay. And by have a roll in the hay, I literally mean
1: have a roll in the hay. <laughs> and then after they fuck peter Frampton is all all tuckered out because she really like she was throwing a fucking on him that was like you need to remember this pussy when you get to la
0: so then while he's sleeping she decides to give us a terrible cover of here comes the sun yeah it is the kind of cover you would hear on the barbara mandrell show
1: yes your finer talent shows would have a cover like this. Like this if you if this popped up on an American idol you'd be like, yeah, that feels right. That's this kind of
0: shitty. I don't even know that. This is more like the Dinah Shore show or some Donnie and Marie reunion. I mean, yeah. it,
1: it's it's really really bad. So during the course of the song, she tickles him with a piece of straw and he still doesn't get up. So she just has to start shoving him and then gets him out of the hay into the truck to the town square where they, they pass Mr. Mustard's bus parked on the side of the road on the way, by the way, right? get to the town square where the Bee Gees and Dougie are like, where the fuck is Peter Frampton? <laughs> And he shows up just in time to get on the hot air balloon, jet. Bo, this whole movie feels like a live
0: action adaptation of the Muppets. And I don't mean a movie where humans and Muppets coexist in the same universe. I mean, this feels like a movie where they cast actors to play the Muppets as human beings.
1: Yes, that is absolutely accurate. It try. I was going to say it has that kind of optimistic spirit to it. It aims for that. Mm-hmm. And that kind of silliness and goofiness and that kind of charm for sure. But it falls well short. But yes, the behavior and actions of the film are that of a Muppet film.
0: I kept looking at Barry Gibbs' giant head of hair and his big white choppers. And I was like, oh, there's Dr. Teeth for you. Sure. And you got Peter Frampton looks like Janice. <laughs> you got Maurice Gibb banging on the drums. He's like, animal, animal.
1: Right. And then Robin is a, a, is a perfect Floyd. Looks just like him. I never think of money. I think of milk and honey. Grinning like a cheshire cat. Can you picture that? <clears throat> you know, I was thumbing through this script here. Turns <laughs> out, Peter Frampton, we are on our way to Los Angeles.
0: Oh, wow. How did you know that, man?
1: Why, it's right here in the script. Exterior. <laughs> Hey, Los Angeles, City of Angels.
0: (laughs) I sure hope I didn't get Strawberry Fields pregnant. That'd be a real bummer. Oh, Peter Frampton, you didn't use the rhythm method. That's all you gotta do to keep yourself out of trouble. Yeah, but I play lead guitar. You're on rhythm. Aurora Borealis, shining down on Dallas. (laughs) Can you picture that? Uh Ah-ha. Can you picture that?
1: Uh Ah-ha. And sing. (laughs) Can you picture? You gotta see it in your mind. That is a statement of undeniable exactitude. This is a hot air balloon of very heavy-duty proportions.
0: (laughs) Our hot air balloon flies off into the sky with Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And as they're drifting through the air, a jet plane crashes into the hot air balloon. And instead of killing all of the movie stars, they are magically transported inside the jet, where the band looks out the windows of the plane. And then the camera pans over, and we see that the outside door is marked by the owner of the plane, shay and nope
1: nope, let me stop you right there chad not actually (laughs) peter frampton
0: screams out we're not sinking we're crashing
1: i I see where you'd get that mix up
0: no time for love dr Jones.
1: it turns out it's just uh the bd records uh logo which is a big pig
0: all right so we landed in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, we park our little jet in between two big jets for no reason I could discern, other than it's an interesting shot. Young
0: Wes Anderson was on the set, and they let him do a little cinematography
1: for yeah for a brief moment. The kinks start playing. ding 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 ding. Hey, what are those asshole pilots doing over there? <laughs> oh hey! Oh wow! Is that Peter Frampton?
0: Oh, oh wow! Man. Hey, that's
1: the Bee Gees. Oh wow. How deep is my love? Oh wow. Wow. It turns out deep. You boys want to read this screenplay? It's
0: called Bottle Rocket. I think I might make it with my friend Wes over here in a few years.
1: Moonrise Kingdom! We is and was the band known as Sergeant Peppers. We get into one of the worst covers. <laughs> I mean, we talked about the, the dizzying highs we'll get to later, but oh, this is yeah. truly one of the shittiest of the film, where we lapse into I Want You subtitled She's So Heavy, already kind of a shitty Beatles song in terms of the Beatles catalog. Agreed. Made worse by this movie. Made a million times worse by this, because this song is the backdrop to BD. Donald Pleasance. Telling them, like, Michael, I want you. I want you so bad bad it's driving me mad he's singing this to the boys the driver aka lucy i guess it has to be i don't know that i totally agree with this but we're gonna go with it so lucy sings to billy or to no, Peter No, she Frampton. sings to
0: Frampton. Right. She's like, I want you so bad. So Donald Pleasance kind of wants to fuck the band. She wants to fuck Peter Frampton, but right. then...
1: Dougie is like,
0: no, nah, I want you. I want you so bad, baby. Everybody's making fuck eyes at everybody. They just got to Los Angeles.
1: But then Lucy and the Diamonds roll by on the back of a bunch of motorcycles. And yeah. you, you know it's Lucy and the Diamonds because they're all wearing jackets... That when they go by the car, spell out Lucy and the Diamonds on the back of the like every jacket is one word, which is a really precise move because you fuck that up. And it's like, look, it's Lucy and the Diamonds, not Lucy and Diamonds, the Sherry (laughs) to your right, please.
0: She sucks on Robin Gibbs finger because they're in this stretch limo that is also a convertible Mm -hmm. that's spray painted in sparkly silver When she drives by on the motorcycle, she's riding bitch behind this stereotypical biker so that she can pull this move off. She sticks her finger out and Robin Kim just leans in and sucks on her finger. Yeah. And then when he pops it out of her mouth, he turns around. He's like, hey, baby, I have a room for life at the home for the chronically groovy. And she's like, I'll bet you do. So that's when they all drive away. Maurice is like hepatitis. So they drive off and then we cut to the convertible limo driving through Hollywood where they go past an adult movie theater that is adorned with four horrors out front and next door to this house of jacksturbation is a shop that sells and I'm just quoting the signs out front unusual undergarments erotic films water pipes and there is a catch-all marketing ploy to would-be customers that simply reads name your
1: fetish older you get in the business, you gotta be open to new things, Chad. You're not getting by on looks alone.
0: Bo, you wanna you wanna talk about the top sexual kinks during the COVID nineteen lockdown? Oh yeah, please. <laughs> So at the top of the list uh-huh. uh, was virtual sex.
1: Is that a kink? Okay, fine, sure. All right. Which I'm
0: like, that makes sense. People are we're at home. Next was domination and submission. Sure, I get that. You're home with your significant other. Somebody's gonna start dominating. Somebody. Hey, Fifty, 50
1: Shades you know. of Gray. We we covered it right here on this show. It's a very Absolutely. popular thing. Yeah.
0: Following this on the list was orgasm control. Okay. Is that a kink? That just sounds like standard operating procedure for
1: most dudes. It just means he can't jerk off. That's the whole control part of it.
0: Oh, I thought it was just hold, hold, no, no,
1: no, no. it's like, it, 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 I think it's a hands-off kind of scenario. Oh, okay. Following that was bondage, which yeah. I'm like, eh, you're locked
0: up. Things yeah. happen. Uh-huh. Next was anal play. Alone or in pairs, perhaps on the stairs. It makes a stinky sound.
1: <laughs> you need some lube or it's, or it's gotta
0: be rough, dude. Everyone knows it's stinky. Age play. Is that where you pretend to be older or younger than you are?
1: I mean, it's got to be younger, right? Nobody's going old in that scenario. Show me how I've got to change your colostomy bag. Oh, that is hot. All right, now now act like you've got dementia and don't recognize me.
0: Talk to me about how you didn't save up enough money for retirement. Following this is a foot fetish. <sighs> Boring. The next was role play, which I was like, how is that different than age
1: play? Age play is role play, but not all role play is age play, right?
0: Maybe age play
1: is where you lie about your
0: age. No, I'm 21. I swear, officer. Voyeurism followed that. That's just looking out the window to see what's happening next door. Or maybe listening to your neighbors have sex.
1: As far as kinks go, this all seems like real weak sauce.
0: Well, it's the most popular ones during Uh, COVID-19.
1: Right. I want to hear like the middle 12. Those are the weird ones.
0: Did I ever tell you one time I was in the W Hotel in Beverly Hills and because of the time difference, I had to go to bed early because I was catching an early flight back to the East Coast and the people in the room next to me were having really loud, violent sex and it woke me up and I mean, it was a marathon session. So I decided to just get up, take a shower and like catch a cab to the airport so I could get there early because I couldn't sleep because these two were having a hell of a lot more fun than me. And then I went and I got in the shower and I'm taking my shower and then the two people that were fucking in the bed they decided to move to the shower so Bo, they were fucking in the shower and i'm taking my shower and like the proximity of my naked body the wall and these two other people that were fucking it was so incredibly uncomfortable erotic
1: oh sorry yes
0: and if you were at the W Hotel doing all those things, hello, it's me. <laughs> also, sounds like hats
1: off. Sounds like you guys were going after it and God bless.
0: We'll finish up our kink list real quick. This is followed by sadomasochism. That just comes from being locked up with somebody too long. Golden showers.
1: Now we're talking, Chad. Now, that might now have been what was going on in the hotel with me. Yeah.
0: Something called impact play. What is that? I think that's just hitting folks,
1: like smacks
0: and shit. Again, you're locked up too long. That's what's going to happen. Yes. Yeah, smacks and spanks? I think that's impact. All right. That's just where you're fucking like, I can't believe I'm still in the same room with you. Whack. Exhibitionism and outdoor play, which you can only mark your territory in each room so many times. Yeah, Man, right?
1: pair them up with the voyeurs. You got yourself a real party.
0: Pet play, which I'm hoping that's just where the dog or the cat watches.
1: If you got a chimpanzee, that counts double.
0: Then we got rubber, latex, leather play. Eh, Uniforms, that's latex play, but with Eh, a little more formality.
1: Uniforms is role play, as far as I'm concerned.
0: And then lastly, group sex, followed by swinging, which is essentially all those anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers.
1: Orgies for freedom.
0: January 6th. Never forget, always repeat, idiots.
1: Speaking of kink shed, our heroes show up at BD's place where Lucy and the Diamonds are hanging out at the pool. Yeah. And so they go canoodle with the girls a little bit.
0: They start taking off their clothes.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, they're wearing like five layers too. There's like jackets and then there's the overshirt that's unbuttoned and the undershirt beneath that. And that's not even counting all the chains they're wearing, which is practically a medieval defense system.
0: Donald Pleasant somehow has changed into a pair of stark white long underwear that matches his 10-gallon cowboy hat, and he's flashing his gold teeth
1: and his boner. They pull down a backdrop to take some pictures where all our heroes look confused. This is one of those moments where dialogue really suffers, or the lack of dialogue makes the movie really suffer, where you're like, I don't understand what you're trying to convey here.
0: Are you talking about the scene where they all stare uncomfortably at the camera, aka me, the viewer in the audience? Yeah, I think they're just surprised that you're still there watching the movie. What are you doing here? Go home.
1: I don't know if listeners are terribly familiar with this not-so-great Beatles song, but the way that the song goes is there's sort of a harmony of she's so, and then they harmonize the word heavy. 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 Right. In this moment, they look at the camera and do this. (laughs) Peter Frampton in particular has this I got a shit look on his face that never ceases to make me laugh.
0: Peter Frampton looks a little bit like an extra in a Wallace and Gromit cartoon.
1: He is not a leading man. He There are too many angles to his face. Like he's a brilliant musician and all, but he's just not a starring.
0: He has the teeth of a man who never has to floss.
1: He is the teeth of a musician, <laughs> not, not an actor. And so after they take some pictures uncomfortably, they lift the backdrop. Only now, Chad, the title card tells us this is a typical record business party at night where the boys are being wined and dined by BD and Lucy and the Diamonds by mm-hmm. drinking from big Bill Brasky snifters, which is my favorite
0: detail of the scene. And they're eating with like oversized utensils and it's very Alice in Wonderland-esque. There's a bunch of elderly men in waiter's uniforms standing by smoking joints. Who was the target audience for this movie? It couldn't be Beatles fans because the music is an abomination of their original works. It can't be Bee Gees or Peter Frampton fans because have you listened to anything we just talked about for the last 45 minutes to an hour?
1: So BD is trying to get Frampton to sign this contract, and he won't do it despite all the whining and dining. He kind of waves him off. So then he goes to Dougie, signs the contract, and as soon as he does, presto changeo, he's now wearing a BD Records t-shirt. As if he's just, like, signed his soul away in a Faustian bargain. And and you're you're right, like, this whole surreal scene, in the midst of it, they could just cut to Tom Petty singing, like, I don't feel you anymore. Who did you expect to meet? (laughs) Bizarre. And BD goes from person to person. Everybody kind of drunkenly signs this contract, except for Peter Franton, who still is holding out. And so Lucy drugs his Bill Brasky snifter. Yep. And then they get him to drink up. And now he's all like tripping balls and shit. And Lucy leads him past a straight-up orgy that's happening with the other bandmates.
0: Yes, they're having sex with the Diamonds, Uh while these four old men continue to smoke joints and just look on. Don't worry about us
1: there, Peter Frampton. We got this covered. Animal! Animal! Nope, nope, that's me, Animal. I bet you turn that around. There you go, pal. Animal? Animal. Ain't no play ain't a play (laughs) that ain't milk
0: and honey it's really kind of funny can you picture that
1: so she leads peter frampton past all this into a room with a revolving record bed i think it's a water bed too well of course it's 1977 when they shot this thing chad of course it is (laughs) he ends up signing the contract here and then they fuck
0: so we cut to the next morning and we know that because the title card says the very next morning, comma, uh-huh. the band begins a difficult one week climb from
1: obscurity to stardom. And good morning plays as our heroes hung over, make their way out of the hotel into this limo. When they
0: leave the hotel, they go past the world famous
1: comedy store,
0: which if you have showtime and you have not watched the five part documentary series, the comedy store yet, you should. Best documentary series I saw last year.
1: Yeah. Very good. They see Dougie hanging some signs for the band. Mm-hmm. Then they go to a recording studio where everybody's kind of toasting as they're recording their record. They're
0: drinking Heineken beer. Did you see that?
1: Yeah, sure. The beer of the current James Bond, I understand.
0: And Tom Hanks and the AOL-inspired 90s-era romantic comedy, You've Got Mail. Heineken, when you want to look fancy, but you don't know how.
1: We see their albums being pressed, and then they pull up to a Tower Records, and for those listening, a Tower Records was a record store, which for those listening, a record was a vinyl disc that they put music on.
0: Right. Imagine if Spotify was a store with only about mm, 3% of the music that's available there. Right. <laughs> and I'm including the stuff they can order from a catalog.
1: <laughs> what if it sounded maybe 0.3% better, but um, was 80% less convenient? That's a record store.
0: So when they go in this record store, the band gets mobbed by all 35 of their fans. And then we cut to the band doing a cover of Nowhere Man, where it looks like they're appearing on some sort of disco version of Soul Train or American Bandstand or Hee Haw.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And then Barry, Dr. Teeth Gibb, he gets a little solo here and he's like, Nowhere Man, please listen. You don't know what you're missing. Nowhere, man. The world is at your command. Pathos! Pathos! then we transition to a live show where the band is performing the song polythene pam mm-hmm. which was my favorite garbage pale kid mm-hmm. and during this cover dr teeth is still singing and peter frampton chimes in a little bit i was curious as to why dr teeth was singing so much when peter frampton is the front man for the band mm-hmm. seems a little strange to me but, eh, but okay. if you're kind of
1: aping the beatles you know they they handed that off
0: all right fair enough but that's not Sgt. peppers no, no 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 he's the one and only billy shears one and only
1: and you're just dr teeth i do think that as far as the bg's frampton stuff goes this kind of abbey road run is kind of fine it's not great but it's the least offensive because it sounds the most like the original stuff it's close but it's off a little bit a little bit for sure so they're they're singing polythene pam and that that rolls into she came in through the bathroom window which features a magazine spread as frampton sings that uh, asks the question hey are these boys secretly having a fling with the quote wicked lucy and the diamonds and then we just do the rest of the song which again as this movie goes not the worst place you can be is listening to a cover of she came in through the bathroom window it's kind of all right it ain't the
0: original. This is not one of the top two. No, 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 no. I did not give it a pass. I was just like, this is just reminding me of a better version of the song, but move along. During this cover, they're still appearing on TV, and we cut back uh, to the hometown where everybody in Heartland USA is watching the TV special, and they're so proud of the local boys' What Made Good. And Strawberry Fields gets kind of sad, and she heads up to her bedroom, which looks like a stalker shrine to Peter Frampton, overlaid huh? on top of that pink bedroom from stay away joe where elvis almost committed statutory rape on a simpleton
1: yeah i recall you know
0: he committed statutory rape in real life
1: well, sure. It, w- it was a different time, Chad. It was the 60s. Like, Jerry Lee Lewis was a hero. Just worth <laughs> mentioning, any time that Peter Frampton and Strawberry Fields are together or we are in a moment where one is thinking about the other, uh huh, their kind of love theme is the long and winding road. So you hear that kind of strains of that under the scene. Then she, you know, after she looks at her shrine, we get a meanwhile across town. Uh and mr mustard is hanging out in his bus
0: dude he's naked getting a massage by his leather female gimps in their black leather bodysuits and full head hoods
1: awaiting orders from fvb they're massaging him and this is where we get this abomination of the robot singing mean mr mustard (coughs) Mm-hmm. It's awful.
0: It is intelligible. It is offensive. It is as I would rather hang out with someone as they tried to convince me their dog was saying, I love you, than listen to this.
1: It's really bad, and the Bee Gees actually are the ones singing. It's just highly digitized, but it's awful. This is the reason that the polythene Pam, she came in through the bathroom window stuff doesn't bother me as much, because you then hit something like this that is truly like hold your nose terrible.
0: There are worse songs in this, though. There are uh, worse covers later.
1: There are, but this is pretty fucking bad.
0: It's definitely on the bottom of the the rating scale
1: of what they did to fuck these up so bad. For me, this is a bottom three. A mean old man? Yes, a mean old man. You are like, oh, God, this is all wrong and terrible. And then they get orders to steal the instruments, right? F.E.B. chimes in.
0: Yeah, the computer guy or thing.
1: Yeah. We don't know what it is yet. Not yet. That's why I'm saying F E B to be mysterious, Chad. And the weather vane starts to go squirrely again. We get a message where Mustard and his pal Lurch, <laughs> AKA Brute, is his character's name in the movie.
0: He's played by Carol Strucken. Yeah. Who was Lurch from the Adams Family movies with Raul, Julia, and Angelica Houston.
1: And for those of a a certain stripe, he played either the giant or the fireman. Uh, on Twin Peaks depending on which one you want to attribute to him
0: you know there are certain people you see in movies and television and you just know that they were on Twin Peaks you know what I mean you see a guy and somehow the tips of his fingers go past his kneecaps you're like he was on Twin Peaks
1: right some point god bless him David Lynch saw him somewhere and was just like him I need that guy for the movie (laughs) There's something about him. He's got a quality. I think it's freakishness. The weather's cool. See you tomorrow.
0: Mr. Mustard and Lurch, they steal all the instruments from City Hall. And then the movie cuts to inside City Hall where we get to see George Burns all tied up and gagged. Mm -hmm. And he looks freshly pistol whipped. And, you know, they just grab that billy club from his feeble old hands and just beat the shit out of him to teach him a lesson.
1: Oh, they came at me like a tornado. I think there was eight of them that came in here. One of them cracked me right in the temple. Also, they fucked up all the mannequins too on their way out. Yeah, they kicked them all over and made
0: a real mess of the place. We get back inside the bus and the FBB computer tells Mr. Mustard that he should take the coronet to Dr. Maxwell Mm -hmm. at the Dr. Maxwell Institute, Mm -hmm. take the tuba to Father Son at the Temple of Electronic Cosmology and to bring the saxophone to me fvb and you can just keep the drum because we don't have time for another mini boss
1: yes and the bus then rolls by the farmer's market in heartland and on the back end of it it has turned into a hive of scum and villainy chad uh some amusement area and there's a title card that says hotland's darkest hour
0: yeah, as soon as they take the instruments, the whole city immediately goes to shit. The video game arcade, mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of whores and perverts mm-hmm. in there.
1: Yeah, it's just Times Square.
0: Well, Times Square, circa 1970, whatever Eight. year this is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There are prostitutes in this town immediately that reach into their own vaginas and pull out oversized dollar bills to give to their pimps.
1: And then lurch Comes along and takes money from the guy running the video game parlor and from the pimp only to get that money taken away by Mustard, who's like, I am running everything Yeah,
0: The town hall gets sold, Uh which I'm like, I thought Mustard was a former real estate agent. Apparently, he bought the whole town or something. I don't know. The gazebo in the middle of the town hall gets replaced with a giant hamburger that has mustard squirting out the sides. It looks like a landing location in Fortnite.
1: The whole town square looks totally shitty. And then he looks at the camera, Chad, as the song goes, a dirty old man. And he goes, dirty old man? And the robots go, dirty old man. And he goes, yes, a dirty old man. Ugh, God. I... Don't know who this movie is supposed to be for.
0: I guess people like us that just want to hack on it for a couple of hours. (laughs) Strawberry Fields has had enough. She decides to leave the town and to go get help from Sergeant Peppers and his Lonely Hearts Club band. So she leaves her home, which is under surveillance. And the two leather fetish sex bots, they wake up on the bus and they sing a robotic version of Mm -hmm. She's Leaving Home. As Strawberry Fields exits her house to go get help and Mustard, he's... Sleeping over on the couch snoring like shimp and then strawberry fields she passes the mustard hotel that according to the sign out front rents by the hour and mm. has adult movies and of course waterbeds. uh-huh that's for all the whores in town <laughs> that's it's right. really just a we work business model of the 1970s but for whores and guys that pay for sex
1: The town economy has shifted dramatically, very quickly, towards a prostitute-based economy. Strawberry Fields heads to the bus stop. Sidestepping some homeless people on the way, Chad. Oh tipping, my god, there's all, there's
0: all kinds of hobos and drunkards in this dystopian future.
1: Looks like Hill Valley from that second act of Back to the Future Part Two. And so she hops the bus to Los Angeles. Uh-huh. And meanwhile, the robots are trying to wake up Mr. Mustard and they're like, hey, the girl that you like, she's leaving. And they can't wake him up, so one of them has to just pick up a cane. And this. here's your impact play, Chad. Just whacks him in the head a couple of times to wake him up.
0: Bo, so this town is under crazy surveillance. They have cameras on every street corner, every bench, every doorway, every streetlight. It's like the Truman Show.
1: Or London. <laughs> yeah that's right
0: why is it such a big deal that strawberry fields is leaving what does that matter because mustard
1: is horny for her he's like oh she will be mine
0: maybe he's building that hotel with the waterbeds and the porno and the
1: i thought you would like this I only wanted to make you happy, Strawberry Fields.
0: After Mustard wakes up,
1: he gets all alerted,
0: so the movie cuts to the driver's seat of the double-decker bus where Lurch is sleeping, and then a boxing glove on a retractable spring punches him in the face to wake him up, and behind Lurch in the cab of this bus are all manner of black and white photos of boxers. Not the dogs, like fighters with gloves. He's a former boxer.
1: Lurches? Yeah, almost certainly okay that's i mean this is pick six movies fan fiction but i'm sure i'm pretty sure okay he's eight feet tall how could he be a boxer does he just get him on reach yeah just pure reach and he was also because he's not super bulky he was actually chad a featherweight and his (laughs) arms were longer than most of the other people but he just bonked him on the head like a pile driver i mean it was like fighting slender man chad you can't fight the slender man
0: so Strawberry Fields gets on the bus. She then arrives immediately in Hollywood. Surprisingly, she's not met by a swarm of pimps looking to turn her out on the streets of LA.
1: Los Angeles is like a million times cleaner and more civilized than Heartland now, which has just <laughs> become a Thunderdome.
0: Strawberry Fields looks up into the night sky and she sees two billboards, one on the left with Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band being advertised, and then the one on the right features Lucy and the Diamonds. And then we get an unnecessary unfortunate musical number where the people photographed on the billboards, they come to life and they sing the song Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. I cannot adequately describe how awful this is.
1: It's not Mean Mr. Mustard level for me, but it's real bad.
0: Because it's such a good song, and this is such a terrible adaptation. Yeah. Also, it was nice to see just how balding two-thirds of the BGS are in this movie during this scene. And Peter Frampton ain't fooling nobody with that mullet and those bangs. He's going bald, too. Barry Gibbs strutting around there with this lion's mane
1: showing off. Yeah, he's peacocking. Maurice (laughs) Gibb, on the other hand, there's one moment where, like, as the billboard is coming to life, Lucy and the Diamonds get all sexified with their outfits.
0: Yeah, their clothes continually get sexier and sexier until they're, like, showgirls from Vegas.
1: There are individual shots of the bgs turning to see like oh look at the sexy ladies Boom. maurice gibb does this turn and this half smile chad that is one i know the the one (laughs) dude it is one of the most uncomfortable smiles ever committed to cinema
0: i go back to my earlier description of think about your dad and his four creepiest friends this is the smile a dude throws at like a 16 year old who just comes walking through the
1: room right in a bathing suit like i'm on my away the pool and he's just hey how old are you 16 you say Oh God, it is. I love it, Chad. I love this smile so much. It's one of those moments in movies, like this should never have been allowed to happen. The fact that this is what they were like, that's as good as it got. (laughs) That's as good as smile. That's the shot you're going with. That's all we had. We have 37 takes. 36 of them are worse than that. (laughs) If I may, Chad, one of the arguments for this being one of the worst covers of this movie is that it features a really 70s trailer of in the song when they're like lucy in the sky with diamonds you hear background singers go talking about lucy oh no that is not how that song should go it sounds
0: like something that you would expect to be coming out of the mouth of like deon warwick or judy collins or
1: being on family guy it's, it sounds like a parody of someone covering lucy in the sky with diamonds this ends thankfully down on the
0: streets strawberry fields she snaps out of her delusional musical haze and then the billboards have magically returned to their normal inanimate state of rest we cut over to the recording studio and robin gibb is singing a lounge version of the beatles oh darling for no real reason and donald pleasance aka bd he's snuggling the cleavage of lucy who's wearing i think a red bathrobe as was the fashion
1: of the time chad 1978 any Anything was allowed as long as it was, it was lame, spandex, or- You could see your dick. Or satin. Oh my God, we love satin in the 70s.
0: <laughs> Strawberry Fields shows up at the recording studio, and Peter Frampton sees her. And then the stepbrother manager, Donnie, he jumps up, I think, to go get rid of Strawberry Fields. And Donald Pleasance, BD, he loses his shit over this intrusion. And the acting in this scene, again, they don't talk like they do in the whole movie. Their performances, they really sell it, Bo
1: oh yeah it's hammy
0: nonsense like the serials of the 1920s have i seen this type of despair and worry being emoted in film
1: oh they're aiming for the back row for sure (laughs) in every scene billy aka peter frampton sees outside the glass of the studio where they're recording all of this going on and he's like hey man that's my woman and so he runs out to see what the fuss is and then again there's just a completely silent conversation between the two of them where i think the dynamic is hey there's something going on back in heartland what some really fucked up shit you gotta come back We're Biff are corrupt and powerful and married to your mother and in which this has happened to me at this point peter <laughs> frampton is like well we gotta get everybody else involved he runs into the studio, grabs Maurice Gibb, then Barry Gibb, and then they all take off with Strawberry Fields, leaving poor Robin Gibb to keep singing without any accompaniment, sounding like a real asshole. But then they come Gibb. Yeah, they come back for him. And then BD rubs his head to the point that his hairpiece almost comes off.
0: That's funny. Remember when toupees were hilarious? It was always a thing like yanking people's hair off, you know? He's got a toupee.
1: Yoink! Do you think it's because that joke has fallen out of fashion or just that fewer people wear toupees?
0: It's fewer people wear toupees and there are two individuals to thank for that. Number one, Michael Jordan. Number two, Patrick Stewart. They were game changers when it comes to bald being not only accepted, but being sexy.
1: I'm with you. Look, anytime we can throw a little light Captain Picard's way, I'm totally (laughs) on board. You know, sexy, you say, make it so number one.
0: George Burns shows back up again to lay down some raspy narration in our movie. So Strawberry Fields and the boys stole Mr. Mustard's yellow bus, and they tapped into the computer to go find the instruments to fix things back in Heartland USA. And as for me, I discovered that I liked being tied up after Mustard and Lurch beat me around a bit and left me bound and gagged. I've been frequenting some of those new whorehouses in town. I have them bind my wrist and my ankles, and they put a gag. In my mouth and I'm totally nude and they leave me in the hotel room to either make my escape or to awkwardly explain my situation to housekeeping and the authorities once they
1: arrive. I gotta tell you, it hasn't moved in 15 years until that first maid found me
0: on the bus the boys in the band they go to the computer and start banging away but peter frampton is the one who's taken with the leather female gimp bots yeah and they turn on the computer and the computer says i'm going to dr maxwell to get the clarinet and then george burns jumps back in and he says dr maxwell was a small time quack who became a big time specialist turning old corrupt people into handsome young people? Did I also mention that I am into bondage and pyro SM and a little light anal play? You see, after I get tied up, I like being pegged with one of my Monte Cristos, and then the whore lights the tip of my cigar, and she leaves the room just to let it burn. I either get myself free, or my stogie burns my tukus. It's a real win-win for everyone involved. Unless I fought and it burns down the hotel, but that's why businesses have insurance, am I right? Anyway, back to the boys in the
1: band. I call it the Eye of Sauron. I got two in the chamber. Boop, boop. And so, Chad, welcome to rock bottom in this film. Yeah. This is really the moment where you realize, to quote Robert Redford once more, all is lost. Steve Martin is introduced as Dr. Maxwell. As you said, George Burns describes him as a sort of a corrupted plastic surgeon of sorts. And he sings Maxwell Silver Hammer. And it's the absolute worst. It's one of the worst things that's ever happened to me.
0: It's such a waste of his talent. I mean, Steve Martin is the, if not one of the greatest comedic geniuses of our lifetime. And in this, he's hamming it up and it feels really fresh off of King Tut. And here's the problem with this performance, in my opinion. Nothing about the song or the premise of what's happening in the movie is funny. And Steve Martin is trying desperately to make it funny.
1: It's a song all about murder and mayhem. And it's kind of a darkly funny song but it's being played broadly and also trying to, you know, it's like I said at the beginning, like you're trying to make these songs kind of forward a plot when the songs are largely nonsense to begin with.
0: And just to describe the set, the walls are lime green tile. There are these wild posters that are advertising plastic surgery, like ass replacements and nose jobs and stuff for 500 bucks. And there are these conveyor belts that are moving old people in and old people out. It's kind of like the Sneeches. It's the kind of
1: place that a joe banks would quit oh absolutely there are these conveyor belts of old people coming in steve martin is collecting money from them as they come through and then he has this special magic hammer the maxwell silver hammer of the of the song i guess well you have to have that but it's in the title of the song It's right there and it zaps their brains and kind of brainwashes them. I think you're reading way too much into this just yeah, but it also makes them younger and they have scout outfits on.
0: Yes, they're dressed like boy and girl scouts. At the end of this nonsense, Strawberry Fields, she gets her hands on the clarinet and hides under a table while Peter Frampton and Steve Martin have a lightsaber fight. Yes. Uh, with electricity flying through the air, yes. while the Bee Gees
1: beat up Candy Stripers. Mm, they dance fight at best.
0: Yo, yeah. They're not just like punching women in the face. It's a
1: Vast change from the real violence we get at the end of this movie. In one scene, we're dance fighting, and then later, there's fucking death and mayhem. At any rate, yes. And at the end of the day, Steve Martin just kind of zaps Peter Frampton's brain. Yeah, it's like he kills him.
0: And I think the Candy Stripers beat up all the Bee Gees, and they run away with the money.
1: They just don't bother to take the coronet with them. And so when Peter Frampton and all the Bee Gees come to, they're like, did we win?
0: You know, Bo, sometimes when you win, you lose. Sometimes when you lose, you win. Sometimes you watch this shitty movie and you regret
1: it forever. And Strawberry Fields is like, no assholes. I've got the coronet right here. And they're like, great, we won. To the next mini boss. Back in the bus, Peter Frampton immediately just finds the drum. So we're half done now. Hey guys,
0: look what I found for sure. This is crazy.
1: Well, that is an unexpected bit of percussion. Everybody hugs, except for Barry Gibbs, who kind of does a no homo move with his own brother that was weird. Yeah, that should go without being
0: said, but. Moving along. Our group then heads over to Father of the Sun, who is located at the Temple of Electric Cosmetology. Uh-huh. Bo, why wasn't that the name of the location for Dr. Maxwell's workplace, seeing as he was using electricity to do cosmetic procedures on
1: patients? Why was Lucy both driving and in a motorcycle in the same scene?
0: Touche. George Burns comes back in and says, Father Sunk was an unemployed school crossing guard at the bottom of his life. And then he dropped the K from his last name and became the leader of a cult to get revenge on the kids who teased him on their way to school. Now he brainwashes these kids to build an army for FVB, the bad guy we haven't met yet in the movie who wants to take over the world. Also, did I mention that my number of rubber bands tightly fitted around my testicles is 81? I almost broke that record, but blood started pooling in my fingertips and my toes, and the whole experiment was interrupted when housekeeping kicked down the hotel room door due to the loud sobs of the more sensitive ladies of the night in my employ that particular evening.
1: When I took this particular problem to the doctor, I had to make something up. I told him I had COVID balls. So... (laughs) Father son is watching boxing on a portable TV, the old kind with the antenna and shit, and is uh, eating a sandwich with a pie. And he's drinking a Miller High Life out of a can. And it's Alice Cooper as, as father son. And he's kind of like shadow boxing as he's watching this boxing match. Again, everybody's kind of hamming it up. Although I would argue that uh, Alice Cooper at least seems to be giving kind of a performance here, which is surprising.
0: He looks like a skinny Ron Jeremy in this movie or a A chubby Alice Cooper.
1: You put a 1978 Alice Cooper and Frank Zappa side by side. I don't know how you tell them apart.
0: On a nearby soundstage, we have adults dressed like Russell from the movie Up, the scout people from the Steve Martin abomination earlier. So all these little wilderness explorers, they're sitting in these chairs and they're watching these oversized monitors where they're being brainwashed into saying, we hate love, we hate joy, we love money. And it's a real, like, what, like 1984 type situation? Mm
1: -hmm. And then, Chad the song begins which is alice cooper's interpretation of because
0: it's awful it is so awful
1: it's just him going because the sky (laughs) is blue it turns me on Except with the music behind him, which is also not very good. Because, let's face it, just a shitty song. But also, especially shitty in the hands of Alice Cooper in this movie. But yeah, so while that's happening, our gang busts in and they see the tuba at the back of this 1984 classroom. And they sneak through and then Maurice Gibb cranks the sound up to make everyone go crazy. Animal! 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 And then Barry Gibb punches father-son right into the pie, surprising nobody. Uh, This Chekhov's pie finally goes off in the scene. (laughs) Then Peter Frampton, for no discernible reason I can find, just grabs a bunch of electric shit and gets shocked.
0: Off of a power supply box.
1: So they grab uh, the survivors of this encounter, grab the tuba and Peter Frampton and head back to the bus. they leave the pie. Because father-son lifts up for a second as they're leaving and then just falls right back into the pie because that's hilarious.
0: Back on the bus, George Burns narrates, Could Peter Frampton survive getting electrocuted by 10,000 volts? I once had an erection take 20,000 volts while high on PCP in Juarez, Mexico. That was the first night I tasted the blood of a dead person that I didn't murder myself, but that's another story. Peter Frampton was knocked unconscious and it turns out that only the power of true love could revive him.
1: Uh, and so Strawberry Fields sings a song called Strawberry Fields Forever and then cries a bunch. That's appropriate. The thing that's frustrating this is really the height of this song is not about this. This doesn't make any this is not a love song.
0: Did you like that during her singing, we see that Peter Frampton is in this fevered state and it flashes back to scenes earlier in the movie, including all the orgy sex that he had with Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. But instead of seeing Lucy, he sees Strawberry Field's face in place of her face. And then he wakes up and they hug and sing for a couple of more painful verses.
1: It's very weird. I can't explain this. I don't know what any of that is about.
0: Yeah, that you just pretty much summed up my review of this <laughs> whole movie.
1: So, Peter <laughs> Frampton, of course, wakes up because of the
0: power of love. Uh-huh.
1: And then Maurice Gibbs bangs some shit around.
0: Adam-O! Adam-O! He starts punching the computer.
1: Yeah, because he's frustrated. <laughs> and the console starts throwing sparks, and then the robot's powered down. And George Burns comes back in and is like, well, with the computer busted. Our heroes have no way to find the last instrument. And back in Los Angeles, BD was losing his cool because he had to cancel a lot of dates that the band had scheduled. While they were off to have, I don't know, an adventure, I guess.
0: So, Dougie, the stepbrother, comes up with a plan to have a benefit. Wait, am I getting ahead of myself? No,
1: no, no. This is exactly right. Because George Burns just keeps on talking. He's like, and so, rather than, you know, advance the plot... How about I just tell you that Dougie had an idea to save everything. We're going to have a big benefit in Hotland. I'm really going to miss those whores.
0: They're raising money for the town. One, why does the town need money? It seems like they need a police force to run all the whores and pimps and drug pushers over to Shelbyville. And then two... Live Aid and Farm Aid proved that musical pop concerts can't save all of the world's ills. This ain't gonna work.
1: I mean, I don't know what to tell you, Chad. This is just the best idea they had. This was Bob Geldof at the wheel, one presumes. And then back in shitty New Heartland... Uh-huh. Where all, the, just outside a building shed, outside of a mortgage company, there are prostitutes and slot machines just hanging out outside.
0: I like the hobos on the street drinking hooch out of a bag. And uh, their shoes have big holes in the bottom of them.
1: <laughs> and then our gang shows up with a Cirque du lineup dancing and hopping around. Yeah, the circus comes to town. And it's being for the benefit of Mr. Kite is what they're playing, of course. And uh, Strawberry Fields' parents are like... Oh, shit, our daughter, you made it. You survived Los Angeles. You've come back to us. And they jump up on on the bus with her.
0: This parade is pretty extensive. They're acrobats and clowns and people on roller skates. They're trapeze artists. All kinds of theater folk that have choreography they've put together. Uh, And some of the whores and hobos get up and join in on the dancing.
1: Of course they do. It's a party, Chad. Plus, once all the everybody comes down from this, some people are going to be looking for some release, so. And the George Burns wanders out of the city hall to be like, hey, what the fuck is going on out here? Oh, it's the boys. All right, let's have a song and dance time. So he goes out to sing and dance with them, but of course, they're, you know, 25, and he's a million, so... <laughs> it's a lot of just stepping and kind of half kicking a foot and stuff it's some real gentle soft shoe nobody's breaking a sweat except for george burns in this scene then billy does a bit with some trampolines and some clowns like you said it's just a big circus come to town
0: so later that night they have a live concert where they start making lots of money as evidenced by oversized sacks with a green dollar sign on the outside That's what that was? Of course, that's what it was.
1: Perfect for cover.
0: Dougie gets in cahoots with Lucy in the sky with diamonds, or maybe it was the lady driving the convertible Cadillac. I don't know. They decide to go steal all the bags of money with the oversized dollar signs on the outside. And then all this happens while a Calliope plays a gentle cover of When I'm 64 in the background. The best cover of that song in this movie. Yeah. Just wait. So then we are tortured with a duet of the Beatles you never give me your money as dougie and lucy conspire to steal all the saxo cash tossing them into a wheelbarrow just move along nothing to see here just keep on going so outside at the benefit Bo, earth wind and fire show up the three primal
1: elements
0: Dude, they are lowered down in these plastic tubes oh, that just so come weird. out of the sky. Yeah. And they hit the stage. The lead singers are wearing these red capes and they just whip them off and. They start doing a cover of the Beatles, Got to Get You Into My Life. One of the two best covers in this whole movie. It is excellent. Mm -hmm. Here's the funny thing about Earth, Wind & Fire, Bo. Scientists have been studying this as long as the band has been in creation. No one has ever been able to accurately get a count of how many members there are in the band Earth, Wind & Fire at any given time.
1: It's the problem of the observation of Earth, Wind, and Fire affecting Earth, Wind, and Fire. So you can never get a firm count.
0: Might be 10, might be 12. Are they twins? I don't know. Hey, I think it's 18. You're correct. Wait, it's only 5. How did that happen? Same thing goes for the number of instruments on the stage. Sometimes one guy has two saxophones. Some guy's playing a piccolo and using his dick
1: on a xylophone. It's crazy. It's worth repeating, the horns in this song, fucking tasty. It's a great cover. It's a great cover of this song. Earth, Wind & Fire is fantastic. They do a rockin' job. Very few bands can do a good Beatles cover. Earth, Wind & Fire, one of them.
0: They're the R&B musical equivalent of a random number generator. Like, every time you look at them, there's a different combination of singers and musicians, dancers. It's just unpredictable.
1: It's fantastic. I love everything about it. And even Mr. Mustard and the Brute show up. And even Lurch is like, you know what? Earth, wind, and fire kind of fucking rocks. Am I right, everybody? <laughs> and is dancing around. You cut to the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton in the front row. And they're like, they're kind of mopping up the stage with us. This <laughs> are, do We have to follow this? That's why they're like, I'm not following this act. Right. Screw this. Let's get it out of here. Right. It's like if the stones were your opening band, like I can't, they just did 14 minutes on sympathy for the devil and it ruled. I can't follow this. While Earth, Wind & Fire is distracting everybody rightfully, Mean Mr. Mustard gets the idea of, hey, how about we take this van back and also I'm going to hijack Strawberry Fields. I'm just going to abduct her. But what he doesn't know, Chad, is that maybe Lucy and Dougie we're going to take the ban also. So they have put mm-hmm. all the money as well as themselves onto this bus at the same time. Right. And so when Mustard finds the key, cleverly hidden Chad in the van.
0: Just leave it in the ignition. No one will ever think to look there for it.
1: So Dougie and maybe Lucy are hiding in the van when they take off. As the song wraps up, the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton are like, that was awesome. Also, we are not going on that stage uh where strawberry fields everybody
0: oh wow man like the bus is leaving and we're not driving it that's a real bummer
1: this is a narrative of heavy duty proportions it's a real shame we couldn't follow earth wind and fire tip of the hat so they take off in a hot air balloon after the bus after chad a quick change into satin flight suits by just ducking down into the basket of the hot air balloon.
0: It's a real... Right. And then now they're sat in World War II bombers.
1: And the chase is on, the card reads. This balloon chases the bus. They get inside. M- me, Mr. Mustard gets a message from FVB saying, bring the instruments. The army is ready. Right. And so now that everything is coming together for Mean Mr. Mustard, he sings to a tightly bound (laughs) Strawberry Fields when I'm 64. Oh yeah, I like this part of
0: the movie. This was the part where the the woman was all tied up like that. Stick a cigar in her ass and light it. See if she can get out. Tell me how long it is. I'll beat that record.
1: Also, it was especially sexy because she was wearing pantyhose.
0: (laughs) Mr. Mustard sings just... A torturous version of When I'm 64, which is only made worse when it turns into a duet (laughs) where Strawberry Fields starts singing lyrics to him. Again, just, we're going to power through this. Up in the sky, the balloon is in hot pursuit. One of the female gimp bots discovers Dougie and quite possibly Lucy in the sky with diamonds preparing to jump off the bus with a couple of sacks of cash. So Mustard ties them up Mm -hmm. along with Strawberry Fields and eventually-
1: Hey, say that again a little bit slower. The
0: the part about them taking the money?
1: No, no, no. The other part where they got caught. What did the villains do to our heroes? Well, he he
0: took the uh-huh. the one woman who was already tied up.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And then he found another man uh-huh. and another woman. Yeah. Uh and he he took the threesome of them.
1: Can one of them be Gracie?
0: You know, I think her name is Lucy, but I. she could probably, yeah. if you said Gracie, it sounds a little like Lucy, so she might yeah, come to that. But he ties the three of them up. He kind of binds them all uh-huh. together. Oh, um, yeah.
1: All together.
0: And, <laughs> sir, I need you to pull up your pants.
1: Not for you or anyone. Keep talking. The balloon crash lands. George Burns does step in to be like... Unfortunately, the balloon couldn't catch this bus on account of diesel engines and hot air <laughs> balloons. It was never gonna happen.
0: <laughs> we are finally at FVB Central for the finale-ish of our movie. Mister Mustard and Dougie and Lucy and Strawberry Fields and Lurch, who's carrying a big sack with all the instruments, they all go onto the sound stage. And the sound stage has, in the middle of it, there's a curved staircase on the left that goes up to a platform, which is connected to a series of oversized stacked coins that make a second staircase coming down on the right and the background is completely black so you're expecting to possibly hear a cover of money but that doesn't happen at the top of it i forgot to mention there's a neon blue light
1: it's a dollar sign a neon dollar sign
0: yeah, at the top, to, to really, um, it's like a, a star atop a Christmas tree, so it all looks pretty nice. It's terrible.
1: George Burns jumps in to explain what in the hell is going on here. That's right. It was FVB, Future Villain
0: Band. An evil force that would poison young minds, pollute the environment, subvert the democratic process, and prevent anyone from ever
1: getting a boner again. And worst of all, turning Strawberry Fields into a mindless groupie. Which apparently, uh, the plan is, and and let's get it out of the way, FBB, the future villain band, is Aerosmith. And... They trot out onto this coin stage. I will say, Steven Tyler, kind of a natural, like stage and screen presence. He is the most compelling of of Aerosmith. Everyone else does this really sad kind of shuffle, like we would just really rather be anywhere else but then right here, dressed in these very silly outfits.
0: Yes, I agree. That is completely appropriate. Why is Aerosmith the chosen bad guys in this movie? Because they were popular at the time? Well,
1: yeah, and, I mean, you need somebody. They actually, Chad, this is an interesting bit of trivia. The first band approached was Kiss. But Kiss said, that seems a little silly, we're going to go make another movie, which you might recall having been discussed on this show, called Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, which is the movie they made instead of appearing as FBB in this movie.
0: They just got paid more for their
1: own movie. I'm sure they did. Yeah, Aerosmith got approached and they were like, sure, baby, Wow, whatever you say, oh, you got the right key, baby, but the wrong key oh.
0: Can I wrap a scarf around my
1: microphone? Yeah, no,
0: what, whatever you want to do.
1: Just come out and sing the song. I'm going to sing it loud. You can sing it however you want. They, Give me a beat. <laughs> yeah. I'm crazy, baby. Call crazy. Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, so they start playing Come Together, which is the best cover of this movie come together, right now.
0: Oh, hey. i like how joe perry pops in a lot i'm in this band too yeah for the choruses
1: joe perry's just like come together i'm here too <laughs> right now over him
0: while they're singing strawberry fields is tied up at the top of this little pyramid she looks a little bit like pauline and donkey kong
1: uh-huh. and
0: And you say she's chained to it. Well, she's loosely chained to it. This whole performance is accompanied by men and women dancing on the stairs, again, as junior woodchuck cadets, and they're dry humping the air, and they're spinning flags flags around. They're like high school color guard or something, which that's sexy, you know?
1: Well, maybe if you tied them up. What if they were tied really tight but you left their wrists loose enough to spin the flags?
0: Just when you thought seeing Peter Frampton a sword fight, Steve Martin would be the craziest fight in this movie Peter Frampton rushes to the top of the stage and he starts fighting Stephen Tyler and they tussle for a bit and then Stephen Tyler gets on top of Peter Frampton and just starts choking Frampton to death That's right and then Strawberry Fields pushes steven tyler off of peter frampton and steven tyler falls Bo, it had to be what 12 15 feet to his death Uh,
1: almost two steven tyler's tall that stage was
0: and you know he's dead because one of his leg is crooked in a weird direction
1: here's another little bit of uh sergeant pepper's trivia if you'll indulge me sure when the script came to aerosmith they were like, all right, first of all, there's no fucking way that Peter Frampton kills Steven Tyler. Let's just get that out your head right now. Sure. And so they said, okay, well, it's going to be Strawberry Fields is going to bump into Steven Tyler during the fight, and he's going to fall. He's like, all right, that's cool, baby. I love that idea. Can you give me a kiss on my big old lips? Sounds like a movie kept coming all night long.
0: What color is the dress that she's wearing? Cause pink. As my favorite color. Somebody write that down.
1: I'm going to need that in about 10 years. I've only
0: got so many good ideas. Come on, Steven. Dream on, man. you got great ideas.
1: What did you say? Dream
0: on! Dream on! Write that down. Why wow, are there so many stairs on this? Y'all need to put it in an elevator. I'd love to be in an elevator. Somebody write that down. I feel like my Steven Tyler is turning into an Eddie
1: Murphy. What do you mean? Somebody's going to be on that elevator. When they get to set, Steven Tyler gets new pages where Peter Frampton like wrestles them and throws them. And uh-huh. while they're on set, Aerosmith is like, fuck that, baby. It's going to be like you said in the original script. I am not getting my ass kicked by Peter Frampton. That would never happen. Not to Aerosmith. <laughs> and so they were like, okay, fine, fine. She hits him and he just falls off, which is why it happens like it does. He's dead. But d- during all this scuffling, Chad, the neon sign that the Strawberry Fields is chained to uh uh-huh. starts to wobble and wibble and whatnot. Uh-oh. And it goes over. And we cut to this fucking me on funnel with a dummy tied to this thing.
0: It's like a
1: super name Osborne dummy. <laughs> it is glorious. This dummy gets crushed. It is awesome. Yeah, but it falls and
0: bounces off the stairs. And then <laughs> yeah. slowly rolls down to the ground next to Steven Tyler.
1: A hand comes off. It's great it's one of my favorite things about the movie is seeing this dummy eat it i watched it like five times in a row it made me so happy you wouldn't die from that you would catch yourself she was chained up she couldn't catch herself all right and especially because she was a dummy chad those things are inanimate they they have no will of their own except pinocchio and that's dark magic you don't want nothing to do with that steven
0: tyler is dead and strawberry fields is dead
1: Uh uh-huh for now Uh, uh, no spoilers Chad. i'm really enjoying the ride
0: you know edit that out i don't want to ruin it for the people who've never
1: seen this movie i I don't
0: don't edit this program i'm not talking to you i'm talking to one of our interns not the paid ones the ones that work for free
1: suckers school credit also, when Peter Frampton, <laughs> yeah, stupid school, Peter Frampton rushes to Strawberry Fields, behind him on the stairs, I don't know if you noticed this, Chad, this is the glory of Blu-ray. There's a boot. With, like, a leg sticking out of it, and, and like, the whole area is kind of smoking and stuff. And I was uh-huh. like, did all those scouts just explode when Steven Tyler died? Is that what happened? I thought they just left. I, that's what I thought. And then I saw this fucking boot. Somebody tossed a joint into some random shoe. I need some answers. There was a, a comic book adaptation of this movie. I saw that. That was never released in the United States, but <laughs> I, w- I would be curious to read the fridge german version to see what the hell happened to all these scouts but yeah everybody's dead and then cut to a bell ringing in a church steeple in heartland chad oh
0: it's so sad bo all the people there are mourning the death of strawberry fields who is laying in a glass coffin for viewing like linen or snow white the two extremes
1: of human thought i think
0: i think they might have shared real opposing views on the exploitation of the labor class I'd like to see a debate between those two.
1: So you are using these small men to achieve your ends, yet they get nothing in compensation. What is it you are doing to take care of the dwarves?
0: Oh, they choose to do it, and I dance around with them as well.
1: You, Sneezy, you look me in the eye. Tell me you want to be working for this woman. For nothing. For scraps.
0: <laughs> I can't do it, Lennon. <laughs> She'll hit me.
1: See, this is what the proletariat does.
0: We're at this outdoor funeral, and Peter Frampton starts doing a cover of the Beatles' Golden Slumber. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Not a terrible cover.
1: Not the worst. In my
0: opinion. It's not in that top two category with Aerosmith and Earth, Wind, and Fire, because it's pretty close to the original, Mm -hmm. but they did screw up the musical arrangement a little bit, so it really just reminded me of the original more, which I'd rather go listen to that now.
1: Just listen to the whole Abbey Road medley. I mean, we get them all. George Burns is there. He's sad. The whole cast is. Mr. Mustard is is there, which is fucked up. Did OJ go to Nicole's funeral? (laughs) I don't know the answer to that, but that's the equivalent. OJ
0: killed Nicole. Mustard just sort of helped to facilitate her.
1: Mm, I guess you're right, but feel like we're equivocating. But uh, Mr. Kite, a.k.a. George Burns, busts saying He's like, the boys have brought the instruments back to Hotland. But we had to ask ourselves, was it worth it? Was it worth the sacrifice? Could anything or anyone make
0: everything right again in Hotland? And why won't the hardware store special order those nylon bungees that don't chafe my crepe paper skin? I told him I'd pay extra. I got the money. I'll tell you why. Because Henderson's hardware is run by a bunch of anti-Semites. There, I said it. Frank Henderson hates the Jews. Everybody in the town knows it. You should hear him behind closed doors talk about the, the integration of Heartland. This guy makes George Wallace look like
1: Jesus Christ. Replacement theory. Disgusting!
0: All I want is a little microfiber nylon, you know? For a little late night fun, you bastard.
1: Look, Henderson, I'm gonna level with you. I ain't got a lot of years left. Now, these nylon cords... They allow me to achieve a lot of pleasure. You're going to deny an old man pleasure? Is that where you want to plant your flag, Henderson? Because I'll drive you right the fuck out of this town. Guess what else we got back along with those instruments? That's right, my billy club. How about I come down here and visit you in your hardware <laughs> store? I'm going to bring two pipes, the one in my pants. And if it don't get those nylon cuffs, then God is my witness, the other rod, the billy club. That's going to go to work. First on you. <laughs> in on your wife don't worry you'll be awake wait where was i oh
0: yeah a funeral was all hope lost we get some flashbacks of peter frampton and strawberry fields frolicking with a german shepherd i guess one of them had a dog
1: in the past i thought the same thing that's if i don't stay. Like, where did this dog come from and where was it while everyone was going to los angeles did they just abandon the pet
0: put him out on the farm put down a bag of kibble split it down the middle with a straight razor
1: we'll see in three weeks maybe Not since the levees broke has a pet been so abandoned. (laughs) All right, that might be hyperbole.
0: Peter Frampton goes to Strawberry Fields' house, because she lives with her folks, and when he goes inside, everything is covered with white sheets. It looks like they're about to paint the place, honestly. And Frampton goes up to Strawberry Fields' bedroom, and everything there's covered in sheets. Frampton, he's weeping, and he goes over and punches out a life-size black and white cutout of him that she had in her room. That's weird. We also see a copy of the Heartland Herald newspaper, and the top headline reads, Strawberry Fields fields sacrifices life for heartland Uh which bo i saw what happened she just fell over and died i do not think that that qualifies as a sacrifice
1: this is a real generous read of the situation but she did die alongside the real heroes and you know everybody's kind of giving it to her
0: did you happen to read the second headline on the newspaper
1: i did chad it was mr jones commits suicide behind wheel of car
0: Yeah, and there was a real graphic image of a car that is smashed into a fence and or a tree. And Bo, I looked at the credits of this film, there's no Mr. Jones listed there.
1: Uh Uh-oh, do you think it was one of those homeless people that was hanging out in Heartland?
0: I was wondering, is this a reference to A Day in the Life? Because that mentions a suicide. Yes. But that guy shoots himself.
1: I think the idea of commit suicide behind wheel of car, I think you may see a crash car. But the implication, I think, is that, yes, he blew his mind out in a car, as the song says. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, so Barry Gibb starts uh, singing a day in the life and it's just kind of rolling by his brothers checking in with him i'm like boy you sure look depressed i bet it's uh, that whole thing about the girl who died oh
0: well man i'm so (laughs) feeling so blue i wish that there was a way that we could be together
1: for all eternity Hey, there is. But, you know, you gotta wait for the natural order of things. Eventually you'll die and then you'll be reunited. But not right now.
0: Wait a minute. What if I were to ignore the natural order of things, man? You know what? I think I'm just gonna go and take my own life.
1: Suicide. This is a film of very heavy-duty proportions.
0: As this song thankfully comes to an end, Peter Frampton is so distraught over the death of Strawberry Fields, he climbs out on the ledge of her house. It's like a second story side roof. And he decides he's just going to do it, Bo. He's going
1: to jump off this 20 foot drop. Another life-threatening <laughs> slight gully. The, the music is, of course, a day in the life and it's building to this crescendo as strings and horns and everything swelling to this moment where Peter Frampton stands at the edge of this roof that he could easily climb down from just by i mean really just squatting at the edge of the roof and lowering himself down he'd be fine he might
0: sprain an ankle
1: Uh, maybe maybe but he's young i feel like he's gonna get right back up but no he instead jumps and the music stops
0: so this movie which has had a lot of weird shit go down yeah it is nothing and i mean nothing compared to what is about to take place man do you want to do this
1: yeah the weather vane which is spinning around all willy-nilly on account of uh peter frampton committing suicide just turns into billy preston in this like gold satin sergeant peppers outfit
0: with a cap and gloves and shoes
1: and boots those boots or something
0: as Peter Frampton jumps off the roof, time stands still. Uh huh. As all of this occurs, just in case anybody doesn't know who Billy Preston is, his most famous song, or the song that I know him for, is "Nothing from Plus Nothing." Plus, nothing leaves nothing. You had to do something,
1: motherfucker! Punch in the mouth, <laughs> right? Lillian,
0: Lillian cannot go outside.
1: Lillian cannot become a weather vane.
0: I keep getting distracted. Lillian,
1: if you turn into a weather vane, Lillian, I'm going to beat your ass. R E S P C T. Find out. <laughs> so Billy <laughs> Preston zaps Peter Frampton and he reverses time back to where Peter Frampton is now standing on the roof. Uh huh. 20 feet in the air. And then, Chad, he just flies off the roof.
0: Flies off the roof is a bit much. He gently floats to the ground like, I don't know, he's in a production of Peter Pan.
1: Not a great production of Peter Pan.
0: No. He's like the Black Sandy Duncan.
1: I still think you're overstating how good the flying is here. But he zaps the for sale signs on City Hall. He's dancing around. Like, it's just pure And he's joy. singing Get Back, by the way. Of course, you, he's reversing time. So you gotta <laughs> sing Get Back, Chad. It's the equivalent of, like, Chris Reeve flying around the world, you know? <laughs> He's
0: undoing all of the terribleness of the town that the hotel is no longer a whorehouse and he gets rid of the hamburger in town square or or whatever else. He zaps a lightning bolt over... At Dougie and Lucy, who are there for some reason, they turn into an altar boy and a nun. At one point, he blasts Mr. Mustard and Lurch, and Mr. Mustard turns into a nun and Lurch is a monk, but then he zaps Mr. Mustard again, and then he turns into the Pope.
1: My favorite transformation is from the bus into Herbie, the love bug. Uh huh. Me, me, he's a wizard. Bear Preston's a wizard.
0: Me, 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 me. Look at my trunk. Me, me, me. It's full of sacks of money. Me, me, me. No, you idiot. My my, my trunk is in the front.
1: I also think it's a weird move for the movie to suddenly get very into Judeo-Christian ethics. (laughs) Where all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah, Christianity, I guess, is a thing in this movie. Fair enough. He dances around the gazebo a little bit. And then, Chad, he just points a finger and zaps Strawberry Fields back from the grave. And now it is actual necromancy. And I don't truck with necromancy, Chad. Never have, never will.
0: What's in that casket now? Is
1: it empty? For God's sake, don't dig it up. (laughs) It's like the foghorn leghorn thing. Like, I'm afraid. I say, I'm afraid I just might be in there.
0: Billy Preston then flies back up into the air on top of City Hall Uh to take his place. I guess he's going to turn back into a weather vane. Maybe
1: not. But he zaps peter frampton and the Bee Gees. oh yeah so they're now in like white shiny sergeant pepper's uniforms yeah peter frampton and strawberry fields like hug and you can see in his eye that he's like is this really her i don't know i don't trust this yet why are her hands so cold how come she doesn't have irises darling she said kiss
0: me like you mean it (laughs) strawberry fields forever
1: and ever And ever come play with me billy (laughs) and then billy preston just throws magic at the screen
0: yeah he gives
1: us a little bit of the juju and we are treated to this magical vision of veritable who's that of the 1970s all singing the reprise from sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band
0: It is well over a hundred people. And for those that remember the music video for We Are The World, it's like that only sad. I'm going to run down who I saw in the final sing-along. Okay. Okay. Star of Hello Dolly, Carol Channing.
1: Well, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band.
0: Husband of Liza Minnelli, Peter Allen. Musician Eddie Bishop, who wrote the song I Fooled Around and Fell in Love. Uh, Jack Bruce, who wrote Sunshine of Your Love and I Feel Free. Singers Donovan, Randy Edelman. Jose Feliciano is in there. Leif Garrett, who was my favorite favorite star of the episode of VH1 behind the music about his life. That was awesome. The band Heart is in there. Dame Edna, aka Barry Humphreys, who we just saw as the Australian media asshole from Spice World, he's there. Dr. John, Eddie James, Curtis Mayfield, Cousin Brucie, (laughs) Peter Mm -hmm. Noon from Herman's Hermits. Uh, Who else did we have there? A young Robert Palmer, a young Bonnie Raitt, Helen Reddy. The entire band, Sean Na -na is in
1: there. Sean Anna is the one that really sticks out where you're like, what? Oh, right. They were a thing in the 70s. Got it. Right.
0: Many. Ripperton, who wrote that song, Loving You, that was prominently featured in the South Park episode, Big Gay Owls, Big Gay Boat Ride. She's there. And actress Connie Stevens, uh-huh. Frankie Valley is in there. Famed disc jockey Wolfman Jack and Tina Turner is in this for some reason as well. And those are just the people that I vaguely recognized.
1: Edgar Winters, did we say that? The The albino?
0: Yep, he was in there.
1: So Robert Stigwood sent out RSVPs for this thing and was just like, look, if you just show up, everybody gets their own tent. It's an all-expenses-paid trip. The hotel is free. All you got to do is show up and stand on this riser and sing this song. And it was like the most extravagant of cameos that you could make and still there were plenty of people that were like no 100% not like Elton John turned it down like a bunch of people were just like no I know the Beatles I cannot be in this I talked to them they will not be cool with this (laughs) I'm sure Billy Preston was fine but and that's the end of the movie that's it that is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band it's crazy how many times I've seen this movie
0: Bo, this is the worst (laughs) group of six movies we've ever reviewed. And I say that a lot, but as a collective, there is not one movie in this group that
1: I will ever watch again. There's one that I will just because I'm broken as a person. (laughs) Sure. The Lifetime series were barely movies, and there were at least a couple of those that I would gladly watch again. Yeah, this is truly a terrible crop of films, but it has been a delight years
0: from now if i'm sitting around and that dopey christmas nutcracker movie comes on like decades there's part of me like i I might sit through that again i can come up with circumstances under which i would watch at least one of the movies from one of our seasons like a bookshelf fell on top of me and i can't (laughs) escape myself and this movie starts playing on the tv Uh if these come on i'm just gonna close my eyes and scream
1: bang your head against the floor (laughs) until you pass out just hold my breath i'll take My chances. All right. All right. So I get to do this first this time. Give me your ranking of these movies. Yep. Worst to best. Worst to best. Try that, Chad.
0: All right. I can do this. First off, I would say for all of these movies, if you've never seen any of the films from this season and you really enjoy the musicians featured in these films, I recommend that you watch it. It's worth it just as an oddity. It's like going to the freak show. But For me, ranking these from worst to best, oh boy, my bottom is Sergeant Peppers. Uh And above that is Cool as Ice. And the reason that is the case is that Sergeant Peppers is longer than Cool as Ice. That's the only reason it is the bottom. Okay. Above this, in my number four Four, slot, is From Justin to Kelly. Only because the music is awful. It's also longer than Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. So, all right, I'm putting Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park above from Justin to Kelly because there are songs in Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park that I can tolerate. There's nothing from from Justin to Kelly that's worth listening to, which brings me down to the final two: Stay Away Joe and Spice World. My number two is Spice World because it's longer than Stay Away Joe and stay away joe is my number one of this season and i i will say that also not only because it's short stay away joe is the most racist thing we've ever reviewed on this show it beat out wild wild west the dukes of hazard had a lot of racism in it this movie is so shockingly racist that if i had a friend over this came up and they were like oh let's watch it i would watch it with them but i wouldn't watch the movie i would just watch their face throughout the whole movie and enjoy the horror that poured over them as they took in this thoroughly offensive motion picture
1: um okay once again we're we're not exactly reverse but it's (laughs) close my worst is kiss meets the phantom of the park justified it, yeah, it's a total piece of shit, and I don't like Kiss, and all those songs are terrible, and everything about it is awful. From that, I went from Justin to Kelly, for, for all the reasons we've described. Then above that is Cool as Ice, but, I mean, that's a real devil's bargain. I know. <laughs> and then above Cool as Ice, at the number three spot is Stay Away Joe, on account of all the racism. Sure. But also, there is something there. What that movie made me do is want to watch another Elvis movie at some point. And then the number two spot is Spice World, because there were at least two good jokes. At Number one is Sgt. Pepper's, because I saw it a bunch as a kid and I have a weird nostalgia for it. This is in no way to imply that there is anything good about Sgt. Pepper's. It is a terrible, terrible movie with songs that, just make you want to burn your ears out with a curling iron so i don't recommend in any way Sgt. pepper's lonely hearts club band it's just a movie that i will watch again because see above read me being broken
0: makes sense also just for the record i'm not a big fan of overly racist movies either
1: (laughs) it's not what i heard Chad, it's time to put all these terrible singing songs, singing songs, uh, all these terrible singer movies mm. in our rear view mirror as we look ahead to a brand spanking new season.
0: Season 16, Bo.
1: Oh, lucky 16.
0: Is that a thing?
1: Uh-huh. And because we're we're heading into the summer months, Chad, the pandemic seems to be easing up some. Thank God. Yeah. Let's do some summer movies. Oh, that sounds like a a great idea. You know what's a great summer movie, Chad? I uh, tell me. Jaws. We ought to talk about Jaws. Jaws is a good movie. It is. It's a great movie. One of the best movies. It's kind of not what we do. How about instead of talking about Jaws, uh-huh, we could talk about movies that are like Jaws. But different. You know, it's like Jaws. It's like Jaws. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of those movies that when you watch it, you're like, yeah, that's like Jaws.
0: What do you think should be the first movie to kick off this new season entitled, It's Like
1: Jaws? Well, maybe the most It's Like Jaws movie I've ever seen in my life, which is another one word animal movie, this one called Grizzly. That's right. Oh my God. It's a land Jaws that's a bear. And this land Jaws goes up against a researcher, a local sheriff, and a mayor, oh wait, a resort owner that doesn't <laughs> want to shut down the whole camp because of one crazy bear, Chad. I think you'll find that it's very much like Jaws, and there's no butt. It's just a lot like Jaws. You say coyote. People say, huh? What? You say bear, Bo. You gotta panic. On the Arbor
0: Day of Arbor Days.
1: <laughs> Look, I'm not gonna cut this bear open. And see that little Kentner boy <laughs> spill out all over this veranda.
0: We're talking about a Big berry bari- Big berries, Big berries. all right? It,
1: it's a Kodiak. A what?
0: <laughs> we got all that coming uh, uh, down the line. And if you have a recommendation for this upcoming season, we have not locked in on all six movies yet you can always send us recommendations find us on social media you can send us an email at pick six movies at gmail.com you can find us on our website you can find us all over the place you can probably see us walking down the street screaming at people telling them to stop watching terrible movies and go watch good movies so bo any final thoughts on sergeant pepper's only hearts club band your favorite movie of this particular season
1: oh man that earth went and fire cover is real good
0: yeah, it is good. You know what's not good? Everything else.
1: <laughs> the 145 minutes other than that. Yes. There you go.
0: We'll be back with a brand new season in two short weeks with all types of movies that are like Jaws, but not quite.
1: Man goes into a golf cart. Golf cart goes into those woods. Bears in the woods. Our bear. Farewell and a door to ye fair Spanish lady.
0: Is it shitting
1: in the woods? You know what? We're using up all
0: our aid material. Come back in two weeks and we'll give you the good stuff, people.